So, did any of you guys have follow-up? Sort of. Um, last week, I mentioned that I haven't seen or heard much about the new iPhones. Um, but this week, I listened to a podcast. I forget exactly which. And it's just one that's in my rotation. So, I, I went ahead and listened. And they spoke a bit about the, I guess, leaked or rumored iPhones. I'm not sure how they're, where their information is coming from. Um, but... It sounds like we are not getting a phone smaller than 5.8 inches this year. And that makes me very sad. Yeah, I didn't want to break it to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was very nice of you last week to just stop right there. But um, yeah, it's, it's a bit disappointing because as, as you both know, I really don't like the size of even the iPhone 7. Uh, I really want the iPhone 5 size back. But it seems like that's not happening. Yeah, it looks like that um, they're mostly supply chain uh, leaks again, where some people find some uh, Mac, what do you call them? Cases? No. Shells, I think. Frames? Yeah, like dummy models for case makers or something. Mm. Yeah, like all the, all the outer parts of the iPhone uh, and then sell them to someone. So I think... We're probably seeing the 5.8 inch to be the smallest you can pick. This makes me really sad. Yeah. What are you going to do, Zach? I don't know. I was looking forward to getting a new phone, but I mean, I, I might end up getting one anyway. I don't know. But I don't think it's not the phone I want. It's not the phone that will make me happy. It's kind of like <laughs> getting a phone because my current one is old, not because, oh, I'm actually really excited for this next generation iPhone. I think it will make you happy. I I know what you mean. I also thought before... I mean, I, I, I made this horrible mistake of buying the uh, iPhone 7 Plus the year before, and that was just you. I, did, I didn't convince you of that. <laughs> it was just a humongous phone that I could barely use, even though with my relatively large hands. But that was that was a huge mistake. So going back to the, the 5.8 or going to a smaller phone, which was the 5.8 iPhone 10, was amazing because I could almost reach all the corners again. Um, so what Kai is saying, just get the biggest one this year, Zach, and then <laughs> next year you will be thinking the other one is very small, so you will be happy again. <laughs> yeah, I guess that would work too. But yeah, I don't know, it's a little bit disappointing. But now it's actually the first, I think it's the first year ever where I'm actually not that ex... <laughs> Usually I'm super excited about new iPhones because there's always something I'm like, all right, I think there are a few things with the iPhone that I would like to be improved. And I'm I'm excited about seeing that. This year I feel like the iPhone tennis is a really, really good phone still. And it still doesn't feel like it's a a phone I've had for a year or almost a year. It's, it came out a bit later than usual. But um, it... it just still feels exciting to to go through the the swipe gestures and having this kind of more fluid interface it is it is really really nice even though i'm i agree the size is not what i if if i would have imagined my my ideal iphone 10 it would have been smaller but now after using it for almost a year i i, I really 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 enjoy that phone yeah i really think well i'd probably i'd probably be interested in an iphone se update if that happened but based on the the limited amount of information i've heard so far it doesn't sound like that will happen uh, but i'd probably be willing to put up with an se that even has 
older internals, like iPhone 8, for example, internals, um, just for that size. But I think the only way that I could put up with a 5.8-inch iPhone would be to go caseless. And that doesn't really make me comfortable either. Because <laughs> why, would you not have, why would you ever use a case? Oh, I don't have like breaking things. Have you seen that device? It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it is. But I think that's sort of the way that I can keep the size and weight, you know, to make the jump less um, than it would be otherwise. I have a business pitch for you. I think we should go into pants making and just make pants that fit perfect with, uh, with phones. This has been yeah. something I've been talking about for three years. Uh, my only business is go- my only <laughs> my only product is going to be women's pants that fit a phone in their pockets because we, it doesn't exist. We actually made it. We got so serious about that idea at some point a few years ago that we started contacting uh, factories in China and trying to figure out how much it would actually be to to make custom pants. That's great. Uh, Speaking of pants, I did see. I saw this guy today at a cafe. He had like a, sorry for using this word, Zach. Uh, he had a fanny pack. <laughs> um, and this guy came up to him. He's like, that's a really good idea. And <laughs> they, they started talking about this fanny pack. And then the guy was like, it's so handy. I used to just have it while traveling, but now I wear it, wear it all the time because I can put all my things in it. And then it's like, I have everything in here. And then he took out like a metal straw. <laughs> It's like, I even keep some okay. straws here in case I ever need to drink something. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> I was like, wow, you're, you're really utilizing that. Uh, in- you're just like walking by a river one day and you're, you're feeling thirsty. Yeah. Pull out the I mean, straw. Vancouver is a very uh, uh, environment-friendly uh, city. So people bring their own reusable metal straws. So you don't have to use paper or, I mean, plastic straws are banned. Paper straws are kind of shitty, so bring your own uh, aluminium straw. I just don't know where to put it once you used it, though. It would be all dirty. Are you putting it back in your fanny pack? <laughs> I don't know. He has, he has to have like a separate section for all the used cutlery or something. <laughs> Probably still couldn't fit an iPhone 10 in there, right? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. No, but I, I, I think you, you will. I think if we... I mean, what is it now? In a few months, we are probably getting back here and you will tell us how much you love your new iPhone. Good question. Naming. iPhone, the next iPhone 10 uh, generation. I think you'll really enjoy that. Uh, have you had any more significant time to, to use an iPhone 10? Uh, no, just using friends and, and mom's got one. So that kind of playing around with it. But I haven't used it uh, at all as a, as a primary phone. Okay, because I think all the all the kind of fluency in iOS with an iPhone ten, I think that will sell you because it's so much. Uh, did you see the dub dub session about uh, designing fluid UI or or something something to that extent? Did you see that? It's on my list of things to watch. I still haven't gotten around to it. I'm not all right. I all think the shortcut stuff I for the moment. Think <laughs> I think actually it's an incredible sales pitch for the iPhone ten because when you see how much detail. And how much um, uh, effort was put into getting all this stuff to be f- so fluid and being able to, uh, if you open an app, you can catch it before it's fully open and dismiss it again. And all those kind of interactions, they're so nice. And there's so much effort that was put into that. I think this is actually really good. Uh, what was it? An hour uh, sales pitch for, for the iPhone 10. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't doubt that I'll absolutely love it. And in two months, I'm sure I'll be eating my words. And oh my god, this is the most amazing phone ever. <laughs> but I just really don't like the idea of buying something that I'm not super keen on to begin with. I mean, usually when I buy a new Apple product, I'm excited about it, and I'm like, this is great, and it's definitely going to be better than the last one. And this time, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Man, where did we go wrong? I think we we have to start selling you on the phone. So you're excited. At a release day. I think we just got to sell him some new pants and then he'll be <laughs> all excited. Maybe that's the, the solution. Um, speaking of new phones, though, do you have a good guess for naming? I don't see why they can't use iPhone 9. I really don't. Thank you. I, I... Really? Why is this like... Why are you thanking him for this? Because I feel like it's it's not like completely absurd to go... I mean, we have an iPhone 8. We have the iPhone 10, right? So there's an obvious gap. Yeah, there will be definitely a new generation of the iPhone 10, which will not be called 9. And then there will be a cheaper iPhone, which is kind of in between the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10. So I think it won't be quite as nice as the current iPhone 10. So it will be because it will have an LCD display. It probably only has one camera, not a dual camera system. Um, and it will kind of be the cheaper iPhone 10-like phone. So that, to me, makes total sense to have an iPhone 8, which is last generation, iPhone 9, which is kind of the new um, kind of baseline Apple iPhone. And then whatever the new 10 will be, will be the new premium, higher margin, fancier materials, OLED screen model. But then you get into another issue next year because then you would jump from 9 to 11 or 12? No, but I think at that point, we might be at a point where... Um, the OLED screens are cheap enough and easy enough to manufacture that that just goes into an entire line. So Apple just bought themselves an extra two years to have a technology that would otherwise maybe not be feasible in, in the main line because it would be too expensive, but they wanted to make a phone like that. So they we have the iPhone 10 and whatever the next iPhone 10-like phone will be called, and we get the 9, and then for 11 or 12 or whatever we get uh, next year, everything kind of goes onto OLED and that's just a new display technology. I think that, that to me, it isn't completely absurd. Yeah, I just think going back to 9 after you've been at 10, it feels like you're going backwards. But um, you also released 8 and 10. Yeah, but it's like when the Xbox 360 was out, they went back and called the next one Xbox One and I think that <laughs> didn't make sense. But that, that is a bit more of a drop. That's a <laughs> 359 drop. Yeah, that's still confusing. Beyond a certain point, numbers don't make sense, though. So I, I, I see a future where we just have a, a 2018 iPhone, a 2019 iPhone, a, a 2020 iPhone, and there might be a few variations in there. And, you know, it's the, the plus size 2020 model, the, the normal size 2020 model. And I think that makes sense. And I've been expecting that to happen for a few years, but it hasn't yet. I don't think it makes sense this year because there's that obvious gap to fill with the iPhone 9. But maybe after that, Either everything's an iPhone 10 or, um, you know, we just lose the naming entirely. It's almost like uh, with the macOS releases, they, they do have numbers associated with them, but now they're so high that it doesn't really matter. It's less meaningful. So they just associate a place name instead. And I think that makes more sense, you know, and you know that, I don't know, Mojave is the, the 2018 macOS update. You don't really think of it as 10 point whatever it is. I don't even know what we're up to anymore. <laughs> 14. So yeah, I think a future where where we just have 
year model iPhones makes sense. I don't know when that will happen. If I had to guess, probably next year. But I think that that's why it kind of makes sense, right? So if we actually get an iPhone 9 and whatever the new 10 will be called, that could be the last one to then consolidate all of it because I don't think they would want to call a 2019 iPhone and they have like the the one with the LCD, the one with the OLED and the OLED one that's large. I think to to be able to... That's do- the naming, <laughs> the OLED one that's large. I mean, 2018. we're joking about that, but uh, MacBook Pro 13-inch with two, two Thunderbolt 3 ports. Um uh, I do think for for that it makes sense to, if you get back to a line that's basically a small phone and a plus sized phone, because if you have three, it's always a bit more awkward to to kind of do that. Yep, definitely agree. I think this year, my best guess is also i i uh, iPhone nine for the LCD one, the new the new ten. What if they would keep it like so? They sort of have a bit of a setup um they have a 10 and then they have a plus so they only need something for like the smaller phone like the the third size the lcd the lcd so what if they name it something like that so whatever is 10 um like the equivalent to the current 10 what if that keeps the name 10 um and it's like iphone 10 2018 iphone plus 2018 because you sort of have the names set up and 10 looks quite good it's an x so maybe they could do something like that. But then people are going to call it the iPhone X 2018. Could work. Yeah. As long as we're not getting an iPhone 9 and an iPhone 11, I think I'm all right. Yeah, let's see about it. <laughs> I think it's not impossible. but No, I, I don't think so either. So that's why I don't think they should go with 9. Speaking of naming, um, they also released, the, they also revealed the... Um, name of the new Android OS, Android P, and it's Pi. Are you guys excited? Great name. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic name. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but in Australia, Pi is mostly Pi is usually not a dessert. It's more common to have like savory pies, right? I don't like. That's pie. right. Yeah, it's it's more a, a snack or a meal. Um, yeah. Yeah, with with beef inside or, or something similar. Like speaking of Pi on ATP this week, they were um, the the opening segment was all about Pi. They didn't mention Android Pi, but no, just start talking point. about uh, talking about sweet pies that John Syracuse was enjoying on his holiday, not vacation, his holiday, and uh, it actually it, it made me hungry for Pi. But me too. The, the me savory too. pie. I wasn't oh. thinking dessert pie, even though they were talking about dessert pies, just this constant mention of pie. And I was listening at eight o'clock in the morning or something, but I got to uni and I was like, oh, I kind of feel like a pie for lunch. <laughs> I was way too <laughs> amused by that segment. Yeah, I was so up for just going and buying, like going and buying ingredients and a thing to bake pie in and then just make a gluten-free blueberry pie. I was like... That would be amazing. And then I was like, ah, no, Yum. it's too much effort. <laughs> I really don't like pie. So this was probably the most difficult, uh, most annoying segment to listen to. I, I much prefer them talking some more about cars. But uh, they missed an option. So they were talking about um, whipped cream, pie and whipped cream and pie and ice cream. In Sweden, we have this thing, which is like vanilla cream. It's amazing. It's more of a custard. It's more of a custard. Yeah. So I think you should go with custard. That's what I'm up for. <laughs> Was this an order? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hi. 
missed opportunity. I mean, they need you to guess next week, Marlon, and do the follow-up. I know, I know. Um, I think that will definitely happen. Speaking of Zach's crises. Um, Zach's what? Crises. Uh, I don't know. How the, is it crises? That sounds very Australian. Cry? <laughs> it's like crikey, crikey. What is it? Crikey. Crikey. Oh, speaking of Australianisms, we were talking today about the uh, <laughs> how how <laughs> how um, Australia's how did we say that um, the famous Bondi blue uh, iMac that Goodness is Kai. famous you lived fam- here for famously five named years. after the uh, the famous Melbourne Beach Melbourne, Melbourne Beach. Beach. Okay, this was the sentence that Kai said. Um, the Bondi Blue MacBook, no, iMac. iMac. The Bondi Blue iMac um, that's named after the famous beach in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the sentence you should say to make all our Australians hate you. There is so much wrong with that sentence. Yeah, we, oh, we thought this is, the, this is the perfect sentence if you want to insult uh, Australians. Because swear words don't really work, right? No matter what swear word you would use. <laughs> no uh, one's offended by those. Yeah, no, people no would be like, offended. you're my friend too. <laughs> That's the nicest thing you've ever said to yeah. me. Yeah, the only way of offending Australians is talking about the Bondi Blue uh, iMac after the famous Melbourne Beach. Uh, okay, I know you know it's not pronounced... Bondi. It's, it's Bondi. You actually know Bondi is in Sydney. I have to check this. Yes, we, <laughs> yeah. we, we do. We do. Uh, okay, okay. But okay, I think that's, that's why it's the perfect insult. You're insulting uh, both Sydney-siders and Melbournians. Uh, because isn't it Melbournians? And, and the general population of Australia because you call it Bondi. It's the perfect insult. It can't get much better. So actually, actually, if you've ever spoken to somebody from Melbourne, the way they pronounce Melbourne is odd they say melbourne like melbourne it's it's odd anyway so it's definitely melbourne but i would probably prefer the american melbourne pronunciation <laughs> than the the odd melbourne you come in a melbourne pronunciation <laughs> that people actually from melbourne use <laughs> but i'm actually quite surprised i'm um I mean, our our uh, podcast doesn't have an explicit tag. I didn't think there was a way of having a podcast with an Australian and getting getting to keep a clean tag for for eight episodes straight. <laughs> I'm usually pretty clean. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think that was physically possible to 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 do that. Anyway, sorry. Talk- but but now we will get explicit because I used the word fanny pack as well. <laughs> <laughs> So, talk about your crisis. Ah, yeah, the, the crisis. Um, I'm really starting to like Castro, the podcast player. Oh. <laughs> like, really starting to like it. <laughs> and I've always said that I use Overcast because that matches my mental model of how podcasts work. But Castro goes one step further and... It like perfectly fits my model of how I listen to podcasts. This whole queuing thing and having an inbox, it's it's a dream. Like, where has this been for the last five years? I, I didn't know about it. It is pretty um, good. Have you have you used yeah. the side loading? Uh, that's next up. So I haven't subscribed yet, but I am going to and play around with the side loading. And that 
part uh, it seems even more convenient than the uploading feature that Overcast has had for a few years. Um, so I'm very excited to check that out and and play around with it. I th- I think it's it's especially nice now when we're doing the podcast because we often have like the final final edit and we all want to listen to it. So it's quite nice to just drop it into that folder in your iCloud Drive and it just shows up in the inbox in Castro. And you just make it the up next and play it. So I'm also I I, I because of our podcast I started like using basically all the uh, podcast apps I can find and just seeing how it all looks and if everything is all right. And I also started uh, really enjoying using Castro. My main problem is why I'm still keeping Overcast as my main podcast player is uh, Smart Speed is sounding way better than the Trim Silence in in Castro. Up until about six weeks ago, I would have said the exact same thing that no matter how good another podcast player is, I couldn't possibly move away from Overcast just because their their voice stuff, their smart speed and, and voice boost features are amazing. And that's still true. And none of the other apps come anywhere near, uh, near that with their smart speeds equivalent and voice boosts. However, since starting to do this podcast... I've been appreciating podcasts at 1x way more than I have ever in the past, uh, mainly because I think we sound really strange at anything faster than 1x. But <laughs> yeah, that's sort of made me care less about uh, having a decent smart speed and a decent voice boost and more wanting to listen to a show in its natural sort of raw recorded format. And so I'm less married to the whole idea of, of a decent smart speed. And that means I, I think I might uh, take the plunge over to Castro this week and use it full time, see how that goes. It's actually really easy to move between podcasting apps because you can just export the uh, OPML file, I believe it is, and just import it into the new app. And yeah, it's, it's almost way too easy. So maybe I'll, I'll play around with that for the next seven days and report back. Yeah, I think I think we're really spoiled for good podcasting apps. It's 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 pretty good. I I think I'm. I'm paying all the podcast apps. I found a way of paying them. So I, sus- I subscribe to <laughs> that Cast. That sounds really sketchy. It's not like I, I went out and tried to find the I'll bank give, details. I pay, I, I pay you in bananas. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I subscribe to Castro Plus um, because I think they're doing some really cool work. Uh, and I, I want to support that. And I'm also subscribing to to Overcast because uh, I think Marco's doing some good job, some good work on on overcast and also just more than just the player itself also all the surrounding work on on podcast uh related things like forecast that we're using for our podcast and other things um so i think that i i throw money their way too i think pocketcast doesn't need my money at the moment there they have npn money now Yeah, I mean, I think they've got all our money. But I, I think I also paid for Pocket Cast. And I think, yeah, yeah, I, I think I subscribe to their premium thing too. I mean, that's one of the nice things about apps being so inexpensive these days is you can try them all and really you haven't even spent 20 bucks. It's great. Um, and yeah. yeah, I'll definitely have to subscribe to Castro Plus and, and see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I'd be saying I, I'm considering switching away from Overcast. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah that's I agree it's it's kind of nice that things are affordable enough that I can just say I want to support all of them because I do think they're doing valuable work so I I just subscribe to all of them and and support all of them definitely and anything that supports podcasting is a good investment I think what's your opinion Martin? <laughs> um no 
You guys summarized it quite well. They are all special snowflakes. They're all good. I think we can agree they're all good. This is not a bad problem to have. We have an abundance of great podcasting apps. It's just a matter of which you prefer. Yeah, this sort of comes ties together with... No, it doesn't really. Uh, I have another thing that I want to talk about related to social networks later. This is sort of as conflicting. Um, at the moment, I'm using Overcast. Um, I've been using Overcast pretty much since it came out. So I really... Uh, I, I've been hooked using it for a really long time and like you guys say i really like smart speed um and i actually listen to podcasts in quite a quite a not just smart speed also 1.2 now one point yeah i think 1.2 x as well so that together with smart speed and i think it's actually like one of the people people don't sound very strange i think it's quite quite a natural uh, way of speeding up people so i really don't mind that i also really like the voice boosting um, and I, I also already have, um, uh, so what Overcast does is that um, it summarizes how many hours you saved from using uh, SmartSpeed. And I have all that data now. So I really, I really want to keep on getting more, uh, getting like a higher and higher saved amount. Mm. And I, I really like it. So yeah, I think I use Castro quite, uh, quite a lot lately. And I really like all of the animations. Like it's a very playful UI. Um, so it's, it's quite amazing. appealing. But in the it's same really time, good. I'm not using a podcasting app for looking at the UI that much. Uh, it is nice, but I think uh, the 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 voice is, is the most important part. So I think I will stick with Overcast. I waste so much time just playing around with with a podcast app and browsing through show notes and flicking things around. So I've really enjoyed that part of Castro the last <laughs> few days. How many hours has Smart Speed saved you, Mullen? I was just about to yeah, ask you the same question. Uh, I don't know where my phone is. Hey, Dingus, where are you? So I can start. I just had a look. I'm now at 290 hours. Ooh. I'm close behind at 270. Ooh. <laughs> and Mullen is at? Um, 133. Nice. There's a lot of time saved. Whoa, why have I not saved as much? How much did you say, Zach? 270. Huh. And so you... 290. I wonder if, because you're listening to podcasts faster, smart speed is having less of an effect. So it doesn't count the, yeah. the time that it's yeah. saving, uh, you know, for setting it at 1.2 or whatever. It's just yeah. the, the silence that it's chopping. Yeah, yeah. And even, even voice boost is pretty nice, but it kind of shot us in the foot once when we all listened to our own uh, episode with voice boost on. And then only you're re realizing from Twitter replies that we, we kind of got the sound leveling wrong. So I'm yep. now deliberately turning that off for us and put a lot more effort in, in kind of doing all the, the normalization before we edit the episode. Mm -hmm. Yep. I, I've got to say, uh, last week's episode sounded a lot better than the rest. And hopefully we can, can keep that up going forward. Uh, good job That's with the, the, the normalizing, Kai. <laughs> yep. Um, also, uh, speaking of podcast apps, it's a good thing I picked Outcast as my uh, pick, I, I guess you say, last week, because this week uh, a beta came out for Outcast with all the new watchOS 5 support, and there's no way I would have settled at its place in the list uh, had, I, had I used these features before recording last week. Yeah, I think that's in general something we should probably talk about, that we tend to 
basically all of the podcasting clients we've been talking about, we know the developer team of. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think that's also why it's quite hard for me to, uh, to talk, about, talk about different podcast clients. But also objectively, yeah. they all have a different focus and have other things they really excel at. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah, they've all they're all um, yeah they're all unique. And yeah. you know, Castro is particularly nice for the way that it, it handles lists. Overcast is awesome for um, sound quality and and the things that it's doing with Voice Boost. And then Pocket Cast is a great general all round. Pod, uh, podcast app if you like to listen on the mac on windows on all the platforms uh then pocket cast is your go-to there so i think they've all got uh definite definite advantages and and a pretty decent web player as well yes that's a it's a huge advantage if you like to listen away from the phone i was disappointed yeah. that Castro doesn't have an ipad app actually there was a uh, there was actually a, a an article written by nine to five mac just talking about all the different podcasting players that uh, podcasting apps that are available at the moment, or many of the like some of the popular ones. I think it was probably five or seven apps in there, and they actually made a really good summary of like what the benefits of them are. And I think from that article, it also seemed like they they did think they thought that um, all of them give different advantages. So it just depends on what type of listener you are and how often you listen and just what you value in a podcasting client. So I think you guys are definitely right. They're definitely, uh, they all have a lot of different things um, that are that they're they are doing really well. So I think you just have to look at what like what your requirements are. Yep, and the reality is that the Apple Podcast app, and I'm sure the equivalent on Android, the Google Podcasting app, is perfect for the majority of of listeners. Um, that's that's the way it is. That's the default. It's built in, and most people are happy to use that. Is there a default Android podcasting app? I think there is now. They they definitely have one. I don't know if it's in Google, like in Android uh, by default. It might be as of P. Um, I'm not too sure. But definitely it applies to Apple's podcast app on iOS. And that one is actually getting better. I think iOS 12, uh, the podcast app in iOS 12 adds chapter support. So Apple's still... Uh, I mean, in general, Apple is putting a lot of effort into into podcasting at the moment. So I think that's that's good that the even the default player is getting better. Do you think Apple? I'm just I just thought about it now. The fact that Apple is focusing so much on their own podcasting app and also on the podcasting studio at WWDC, do you think that means that they might intend to like release their own internal or their own podcasts um, too? Like internally recorded podcasts to external people. Interesting. Maybe. Uh, what type of content would you be thinking that involves? Like, I think especially something like, since Swift is open source, that would be the perfect thing to talk about in a podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's very community driven. Uh, so I think they could have like a uh, what's new in Swift podcast or just a Swift talk podcast. So something like that, or maybe something about like UI kit or like all the different SDKs and the different frameworks could be things for like AR kit or um, like different AR, where they talk about like different AR kit demos or different apps that they found in AR kit or just what they like, what their challenges have been for developing AR kit. This could be like another part of them getting more involved in the community um, in the way that they have done with, uh, with Swift. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. I think traditionally that's not something I would have seen them doing, but maybe uh, they definitely are becoming more open with the development of some of these things. And I know machine learning is all of their ML work is another 
area where they're a lot more open with those blog posts that they have and those those posts are excellent but i guess yeah podcasting could be another way for them to connect with their audience uh, and share their learnings and, and things like that So, Zach, I saw that you're talking at Cocoa Heads in Sydney next week. I think this is as preparation for your talk at DevWorld, right? Yep, yep. So, on Thursday night, uh, giving my first full-length talk at Cocoa Heads. I've done a few smaller things before, but this will be a proper almost 30-minute uh, presentation on Siri shortcuts. And it also happens to be the same talk that I am preparing for DevWorld, which is a, an Australian uh, iOS and Mac OS dev conference uh, that's run down in Melbourne, um, which is taking place in two weekends time. Actually, the conference will have started this time in two weeks. So yeah, I'm sort Ooh, of so soon. practicing the, the talk at Koga Heads uh, ahead of ahead of DevWorld, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work, maybe change some things up uh, at the end of that. And yeah, it's come around, come yeah. around fast. I, I, I wanted to get into this topic because I know you've spoken at this conference before, Marlon, you've written conference talks. Um, and I, I was saying to you off the air a few minutes ago that uh, it was, I mean, I'm presenting this talk in four days and only two days ago I was restructuring uh, a fairly big <laughs> chunk of it because seemingly one can never be satisfied with their their talk um, that they're preparing for something. So, yeah, I, I, when I started writing it, I sort of had two approaches that I wanted to take and well, I'm only going to pick one, but there were two options and I went with like option A and I wrote that, done, and now I'm going for option B. So everything's sort of restructured. It's all, it's all very similar content, but it's just about the order in which uh, things make sense because it's one thing to write. Well, I've found that it's one thing to write out a structure and write out sort of roughly what you want to say uh, and then it's another to actually practice presenting that and you realize that maybe things don't flow the same way when you're talking about something as they do when you're writing it down uh, on, on a paper or something. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like sometimes it's like you sort of go through it in your head and you think it makes sense. Um, but then once you start saying it, it just doesn't feel like certain pieces fit together or you feel like maybe you need like another slide in between just because it doesn't really bind it. Um, so I think what I... I think what I tend to easily do is to just like have this idea and then I just go directly to making the slides perfect, which is terrible uh, because then like you will be after the time you've been rehearsing it, you're going to have changed it like at least five times. So I think it's really good to just have like a basic outline of what you want to say, maybe like put all of your like... Um, like helper slides in, uh, just to know what you want to talk about when and when you want to uh, like go to the next slide. But I think like putting things like code examples in or putting all your like um, gifs in if you want to have that. Uh, I think it's very very important to wait till the till the very end for that because otherwise you're gonna uh, waste a lot of time. But I think it's good that you did you start rehearsing for actual people or I haven't rehearsed in front of actual people. I'm just rehearsing by myself at the moment. Uh, I probably should do a test in front of actual people. I know Coca Heads is sort of the the testing ground for it. I don't I don't want to give the impression that I'm doing a half-hearted talk at Coca Heads. It's going to be as good as I've got, but it's more just uh, sort of get some feedback on that and develop it 
slightly a little bit more uh, ahead of ahead of dev world uh, but yeah i should probably give the talk to a few people uh, ahead of uh, ahead of thursday night yeah yeah i think the good thing with i think it's definitely fine to just give it that uh, give it that cocoa heads especially considering that you have been talking a lot to the cocoa heads audience before i think people will be quite honest and give good feedback and i also think um you don't really have to worry about like being afraid once you're up there because you know how it feels to stand up there already because uh, because you are at cocoa heads so i don't think you really have to worry about that um but i do think sometimes like it does help to get someone who's like just really honest i usually get kai to listen to me uh, so I think he knew, even he heard my talk that I presented the word like 20 times um, and just get that person to like write down notes. But I think it can be about anything from like how you say something to like the way like you're pacing. And also like uh, if you have any like maybe you have something like you always like some type of uh, like bad habit that you don't notice yourself. Like you always use a specific word or um like you always scratch your nose or something like it's it's quite good to like know about those things so you can be aware of that and i think having someone who's like really knowing you who's quite honest is quite good definitely yeah i was i recorded yesterday's practice talk uh, just the audio part of it and i was pleasantly surprised to learn i say um a lot less in that talk than i do on this podcast so i think that's a good good first step I should probably also uh, do a video recording or something just to get familiar with with how I'm standing and, and talking and moving and things like that. Um, but yeah, I I got the idea of presenting at Koga Heads ahead of DevWorld from you actually last year when you did I think the same thing. Uh, so I sort of wanted to ask you uh, what you how you found that experience presenting at DevWorld and also uh, presenting at Koga Heads before. I mean, was that was that valuable? Yeah, I think it was really valuable, and not just because, like, for, first of all, it's a smaller, smaller audience at Cocoa Heads, and you, like, if you're talking at your first conference, it's quite good, which, which I did. Uh, so it's quite good to talk for a smaller audience first, and then go to a bigger one. Uh, but I think what I really, what really helped me was that I was, like, I basically prepared almost as much as I would have prepared for Dev World. I prepared for Cocoa Heads, so I had like my whole my whole talk written and I had all my, of all of my the majority of my slides like how I wanted them like in a sort of final stage and I think that was really good because that helps me helped me to enjoy the rest of the conference uh, that I was attending I know there are a few people uh, who talk at conferences and they tend to like if they are on the second day they are still sitting and writing their talk or putting their slides together on the first day of the conference um, and I think I definitely don't want to be in that situation. What I really found helpful was that the fact that I did my talk at Cocoa Heads meant that I had everything prepared and I could really enjoy the other days of the conference. Um, luckily, I happened to be first after the key after the keynote, so I didn't really run into any problems. But I think if I would have been on the second day and I wouldn't have given my talk at Cocoa Heads, that would have meant that I was still sitting down and writing my um, writing my talk or putting things in my slide uh, in my slides. Um, during the conference and i think you're really gonna enjoy the conference a lot more um if you if you actually end up having everything prepared before um 
I think I, I have been thinking a bit too about uh, submitting talks for other conferences that are going on at the same time as WWDC. And I would definitely do the same approach there because if I would have a ticket for WWDC and have plans to talk at another conference during that week, I would not want to like have come unprepared because I, I want to enjoy the conference as, uh, as much as I can. And I think it's the same with DevWorld. DevWorld has a lot of great speakers and some really good topics. And I just wanted to be able to sit there and enjoy it. And also have a chance to like network with the people uh, the day before I gave my talk um, and I was able to do that and actually just sit down and have a pizza with people without feeling stressed because I had already given the talk. So I think it's a great idea that you're doing it um, at Cocoa Heads. I think one of downside might be that um, you might get people, I mean, the, the iOS community is quite um, tight in Australia. So I think a few, uh, a few people who go to Cocoa Heads might end up going to DevWorld. And I guess that might be one of the downsides of you giving the talk twice. But I think... I would just explain that uh, straight up at Cocoa Heads. Just say that if you if, if someone's going to DevWorld 2, they're probably going to hear you talk twice. Um, just so they're, they're aware of that and not just coming to DevWorld afterwards and could have gone to a different talk um, because DevWorld is running and like, they have two tracks at the same time. So I think it's great to let people know just so that they can decide to go to the second track if, if they already heard your talk. But I think you ended up going to mine twice, right? I did, yeah. Definitely was interested in hearing yours a second time and yeah, ended up there um, day one of DevWorld and yeah, I quite enjoyed it. It was a, it was a very good talk. It was very well prepared um, and I even remember there were a, like there was a technical glitch or two during your DevWorld presentation, but you sort of just continued on without a hitch and that was that was really impressive as well and I think that showed that you really had prepared well and were ready for that that talk that it didn't really phase you. So that's really good too. During Marlin's rehearsals, we actually simulated some failure situations too, where where a keynote would crash and Marlin would have to recover. So that was actually oh part of our of, <laughs> of the preparation uh, scenarios we went through. Ah, oh, that is totally something you would do. <laughs> <laughs> Be prepared well. for everything, folks. Because the the presentation mm. was full of magic moves between different slides mm -hmm. so we, um, those yeah. magic moves it was so hard to get them to work because even even after all the tweaking we've done um we got to a 60 percent or 70 percent uh success rate to get through the slides in that order um so <laughs> we we definitely did some some uh uh you know, crashes uh, uh scenarios and how to deal with that I think that was that was really good actually to actually have um, keynote crash on you. Uh, like it, it really helps uh, knowing how to be prepared for that. Um, are you gonna do any like live demos by any chance? No, definitely no live demos or live coding or anything like that. I do have uh, some code-heavy slides, uh, just just a few because obviously I don't want to put too much code uh, on the slides. Most uh, most of the slides with code are only a few lines. But yeah, I don't really want to to do a live demo. I mean, it, it could fit. Um, I just think it it's reduces the risk to have the code on the slides there. And then I've got video examples that go along with it to show, oh, here's what the code that's been implemented does. Uh, and here's the result of... Um, it, so in this case, it's you know all about implementing shortcuts. So here's how you do something. And then here's the result with videos. I think that also helps for timing as well. Uh, I'm... I'm a little bit on the long side at the moment. I've got, I think I've got a 25 minute slot and my practice talks are about 29 minutes. So I do need to find some things to remove. 
uh, and I think having the the videos and the code already there sort of helps with knowing exactly how long the talk will take and doesn't leave too much up to chance. Um, I've tried not to use too much magic move because, I mean, you've just said there that it, it's a bit problematic. And I remember Pat Murray saying last year that he actually had to do a few video uh, recordings of magic move between the slides just to... Uh, I guess help keynote out and yeah. make it not work too hard while he was presenting. Yeah. Uh, because you're saying there were a few crashes going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I think the ones that I struggled with was that I, I had a lot of code that was sort of growing just to demonstrate how a, a view controller could become really difficult to maintain. Uh, and basically, during this growth, there was a lot of like actual. Um, like independent letters that were moving around with magic move and it made it look really cool like this was an awesome animation but i just had to take it away or change it to be like every i think every block of code instead uh, was animated independently and that sort of worked so if you can like just cut it down a bit or like like pat did um just record it in a video i think that's a that's actually a really good idea um so i think i think that's something you, you should do and maybe have like backup slides that don't have any animations just in case something happens you can just go back to that one yeah that's a good point actually just remove all the animations and and have some blank slides could come in handy if something goes wrong with keynote you can actually export a quicktime movie file that has kind of stopping points so you can still use your your clicker to go through the slides but it's not actually in 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 keynote you would actually open it in quicktime so that's a good failsafe. So as soon as you're like locking in your slides, just use that. So if if for some reason Keynote goes completely uh, crazy, you can always fall back to your to your QuickTime file and worst case, just resume from there. And even if you're not using it, it's just a nice thing to know for yourself that even if something goes horribly wrong, technically, you have a fallback. Yeah, I didn't know that was possible, but I'll have to check that out and have that as a backup, definitely, in case something does go wrong. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised to discover that you can copy paste rich text out of Xcode. I did not realize that was a thing, and I was screenshotting all of my code examples. I did, wow. I did and the then same. somebody mentioned that you can copy paste uh, code snippets, and they keep the formatting, which is and like all the colored text and everything, and it's amazing. Uh, so then I spent sort of a couple of hours going through and updating all of the screenshots that I had to be just plain text. It's great. Well, actually, attributed text, but yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I did the same. So I, I used to keep like screenshots of all of my code, and I was like, oh, I can't have any magic moves, uh, <laughs> and then I was like, wait, I could just copy it from from Xcode, and it works surprisingly nice. Um, so I think yeah, it, it's it sort of makes sense that you can do that, but for some reason I didn't think of that. Uh, it's I awesome. I was walking by while Marlon was cutting, like taking screenshots of all the code. I was like, what the heck are you doing? Why don't you just copy and paste it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it doesn't work. And then I try it. I'm like, oh, wait, you can do that. Cool. Yep. It's magical. <laughs> I know. I know. But magic moves don't work. So there's that. Mm, well, yeah. tough magic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, a little bit about the, the talk specifically. So it's all about shortcuts and you know the new Siri kit APIs that were announced at WWDC this year and I, I know we've spoken about this before but seemingly everything is called a shortcut and that <laughs> it turns out that makes it really difficult to write a conference talk because I've been speaking to people about shortcuts just in day-to-day -day life you know just having chats about what it means and, and 
things like that. And seemingly most people, when they refer to shortcuts, are talking about the app that's currently in beta, as in the workflow replacement, and not even people who are developers are referring to shortcuts as that app instead of shortcuts, the things that you as a developer can create and you know donate to the system and, and integrate with your apps and all of that kind of thing. So I found it really difficult when writing the talk and structuring it to think, how am I going to properly convey what I mean and what I mean by all these different things and, you know, how shortcut type one is different from shortcut type two, three, and four. I think those are perfect Shortcut type one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I didn't go with that. (laughs) Um, But I actually, about a month ago, sat down and ended up writing a blog post about what the hell a shortcut is to properly understand it. And I found that it was a really good way to sort of get my thoughts down on paper and think about things in a different way. And I thought, great, I've essentially written half the talk now and I can just transfer this right across to uh, a keynote presentation. (laughs) And then I learned the hard way that that's definitely not possible. So it was really beneficial to have the blog post written out and to clear my thoughts. But it turns out that going from blog post to conference talk without any kind of uh, interference is not a good way to do things. And I caught this before having finished uh, writing the talk. Fortunately, I was like, I'm, you know, probably 70% of the way through, I'm going to give a practice talk. And I did that. And I realized that, whoa, like this is not, this is not the right way. This is, this would be a terrible conference talk if I was to deliver it like this. And fortunately I did catch it before I'd finished all my slides and then sort of have evolved things over the last couple of weeks too. I think I'm at a point where I'm happy with it now. I did a full run through yesterday and I think things flow nicely enough. There's a few little tweaks I want to make, but yeah, I thought it was interesting how the blog post definitely did help, but almost not in the way that I thought it would help. I don't know if you had any experience with that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny because that's pretty much exactly what I thought too. Um, I thought, okay, I'm just going to do some uh, research about this. Uh, this topic before I start writing and I was like actually maybe I should write this down and I was like this could make a blog post this is perfect my opportunity to start writing longer articles Um, so I started writing things down and then I quickly realized that the detail I'm going into in the blog post is not going to be something I'm mentioning in a 24 24, 25 minute talk Uh, so I did quickly realize that too Uh, but then as you said, like you get a lot of other things out of writing that blog post. So my talk was about um, different software architectures, uh, and I just wanted to have like a really good understanding of the different different options and just be able to express it uh, in a way that like express it to someone who hadn't been working directly in it. Um, so that's why I started doing the research, and I felt like. Um, the fact that I was reading a lot of blog posts, a lot of other people's blog posts about it, and the fact that I was sort of formulating my own thoughts around it and trying to express, like, explain in detail what the, diff- what the different architectures were, uh, that really, really helped me um, to go to not keep to not keep a like detailed script for my talk, because I felt like every time I was sitting down and writing a talk, it was sort of like ending up being this script and I, it just didn't feel natural. But the fact that I read all of those posts really helped me um, just being a bit more like free about it. I didn't really need any like backup. I didn't really need any 
uh, manuscript that I didn't really need to read from my sides. I was so confident about the about the topic because I'd done this uh, sort of pre-work. So I think it does end up taking a lot of time and it's very time consuming to write all those things down. But I think um, it will work in your favor, especially like if you if you end up having a Q&A section or if someone just come up and talk to you afterwards, it's very good that you're like have this sort of reference material both for yourself to like be more confident about what you're saying and also um, if someone asks you about something in particular it's great that you can just say you know what I've wrote a blog post about this so if someone wants more more information about something you can just uh, always you can like you should definitely talk to them because you have this opportunity to uh, have a great conversation but also if they want to go home later on and read something um, they can always go to your go to your blog posts and I think that's really good reference material to have Definitely. So let's to touch on something you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier. You said you didn't really follow a script. Um, so how did that work? Did you just have dot points that you sort of spoke to or were you just comfortable enough talking about the topic uh, by the, that point that you just sort of went off the top of your head? I guess I pretty much, uh, if you remember, I don't know if you remember my slides. It wasn't very detailed, like it wasn't like really complete sentences. It was quite short uh, like headline type of slides, so it was like uh, maybe like the the name of the um, of the software architecture, and then some small dot points under it, and that's pretty much what I was reading too. Uh, if I had like a particular word that I knew that I always struggled remembering, um, I tend to write that down. Or if I had um, like um, something that came on the other slide that I wanted to reference before I moved to the slide, I always wrote that down. But otherwise, I didn't really have any like anything in the slides myself, uh, like for myself. And I think since you listened to both of the talks, uh, I think uh, you would have heard that there were certain sentences that I was repeating. Um, but for example, when I have the technical difficulty, I felt like the reason why I was repeating a few things was because I pretty much rehearsed it so many times. So I found a flow. Um, so I kept like, I, I tend to use the same, like formulate the same, same sentences, but maybe use different words from time to time. Um, but then the time that, uh, like, um, uh, the time that my slides went down or like if you had like any technical difficulties, um, I felt like I could really easily just like keep on talking without having to rely on the slides. Um, so I wouldn't say I didn't really have a script. But, uh, of course, since you practice it so many times, a lot of things will sound quite similar. Yeah, no, that's really interesting to hear you say that, actually, because I... I think the original plan was to essentially write it out word for word and then try and memorize it. And really, that's not my style, you know, trying to memorize a, a 25 minute talk. Um, so the approach that I've settled on is a lot more similar to, to what you just described of having slides. And my slides have almost no text. Most slides are either very basic text, uh, a few lines of code, or primarily screenshots and videos of shortcuts in action or, you know, something that we're using. I've got a few blank slides because, you know, don't always need content on the screen. Um, and so I am relying on what I say as the primary method of communicating. Uh, but I've sort of got, I, I guess, trigger points. Like if I, if I look at a slide, I do definitely have dot points in the notes section, but I'm not always following that. And I'm sort of just able to talk off the top of my head uh, in a way that's similar enough to what I've written there that it sounds coherent and it kind of works and it doesn't really matter if I skip over a line or, or say something extra that I wasn't practicing. And I quite like that approach. And I know that there's 
there's multiple ways to approach conference talk and some people really do want to memorize everything and, and get their script perfect. And I understand that. And I think if, if done correctly, that is really impressive. If you look at most presentations from WWDC, they're, they're definitely scripted down to the last word and, you know, they must go through such intense speaker training and that works quite well. But at conferences, it's not always the case. Some people are really good at that and other people are just sort of more talking off the top of their head. And I'm sort of going for a hybrid approach where I am pra- I've definitely practiced what I want to say and know what I want to say, but I'm also not adhering strictly to a script. And so because my slides don't have uh, like words and as much... Um, yeah, as, my, as many words on them, it doesn't really matter if I'm saying something that I hadn't quite practiced for, uh, as opposed to, yeah, you know, if, yeah. if you have words on a slide, you kind of have to follow the dot points that they, that you're showing on the slide. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely think there are, there are some benefits of having a like finished sort of manuscript for yourself. And I see why people do that, especially if you, um, like, Maybe if you if if you haven't presented that many times, it can be a lot more comfortable to just write everything down beforehand and just follow that. But the problem for me is that I tend to, um, if I would do that, I usually don't. I don't feel like I'm that good at remembering everything. And if I would end up losing like the thread and not be able like not maybe to remember one sentence or what I want to talk about, I will be completely thrown off topic. Um, and that's what I felt like. If there's one word that I'm just messing up or one word that I don't remember uh, that's gonna that could ruin my whole flow uh, and I think that's uh, that's the risk with doing that and I think it depends on how like how different people learn and I think it depends like about depends on what you're confident to it but I felt like for me that would almost even though it was my first conference talk I felt like if I would have a script it would maybe make me more comfortable if I remember the exact script but if I would forget something that would just make me even worse like it feel even worse up there so i think it's you have to sort of consider what's like what's best for you but i think like you've been uh, you've been hosting coco heads and you've been doing uh like months in review and i think you tend to have quite a like relaxed like you seem to be quite relaxed when you stand up there and i think that's a really good presentation style and i think uh, it makes everyone sort of involved in your um in your talk it doesn't feel like you don't have this like differentiator between like you standing up there and the community. It feels like you interact a lot with the audience when you don't have to like look at the screen or try to memorize a script. Like you can you can joke around a bit more, and I think you've been you like you always do really good with that. So I think it seems like the right approach for you. Thanks. That's interesting. I mean, I did a bit of public speaking in school, and that would always involve memorizing a. I don't know five or ten minute speech or whatever it might be, and I always found that if I stuff something up and I would sort of have to get back to that point where I was and remember that exact line before I could continue on with anything else because it really threw me out so much. It's almost like you're not thinking and comprehending the what you're talking about. You're just trying to memorize a script. And you could be talking about anything, but you know, you're sort of so strictly on that that, you know, that track of having to say that word after this word and and things like that. Whereas with the conference talk, ideally it's in a point it's at a point where if I mess up and skip to the next slide accidentally and, and forget a line, that it can sort of just flow on and it doesn't really matter uh, what's been missed. I, I do think the kind of word for word perfectly written speech is more relevant for for other types of talks. I don't think for a technical talk where you're trying to convey 
a technical concept, you really need that as long as you have a good understanding of what you're trying to to tell people about or what you want to teach people. Um, and you have a good understanding and you you understand or know how you're trying to convey that. That's the important part. Unless you go into like political speeches where where and you have teleprompters to help you with that, I think going for kind of word by word memorization of a of a talk is is overkill and un you make it unnecessarily hard for yourself, which means it's more likely that you get into a state where you mess up or you struggle to recover and in the end you're less happy with your talk and the audience had a harder time understanding because you didn't deliver it 100%. So if you're confident about the topic and confident about the way you're trying to convey it to the, to the audience, I think you're in a way better state. Yeah, definitely. I just wanted to get back to, you mentioned that um, you try to write a blog post first and then you try to write it into a talk. I just had one more thing about that. I felt like um, something I noticed while I was writing a blog post was that um, what I wrote down was perfect for a blog post, but it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be perfect for a talk. And I think it's a bit like unfair is the wrong word, but it's a bit um, unnecessary to have an audience listen to something that could have been a blog post. So I think that really helped me think about like the audience time and what I should really deliver. Like what 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 I really want the like the people who listen and are at the conference to understand. I don't want them to get something out of the talk that they could just have Googled for or that they could just have found online. So I think it's very important to like find that distinction and note that, like realize what you can put into a talk that wouldn't actually be good in a blog post. Uh, so like I brought up a, a, a few uh, like real life examples and I was sort of talking about how me and the team I was working with uh, got to a certain point. And I think that's quite important because it's uh, it really adds some personality to the talk. And I think it's um, it's adding more of a story than just information and facts. Um, and it also keeps the audience a bit more engaged in you than just looking at your slides, I think. Yeah, definitely. I'd agree with that. Sort of keeping the slides as a way to convey information that you probably wouldn't or couldn't put in a blog post uh, otherwise. I mean, I've got a lot of, of video examples in mind, just short, you know, five or 10 second mm. snippets. And there aren't many blog posts that you read where there's a video every paragraph to sort of ex uh, describe what's going on. And I think that it makes use of the conference talk format in it being visual and also um, as an audio medium to it. It sounds like you're on a good track with having like different different videos and a little bit of text and also talking to it. I think it's quite interesting too, so especially with something like shortcuts. You really want to have see something like some real life examples. So I think that's good that you have some videos there. Something that I found really irritating um, when I'm watching any presentation is when videos are on loop. Like, I don't know if you noticed this. I think I complained about this before to Kai, at least. Um, like, some people put uh, GIFs in their videos and that's, or in their slides, and that's really fun. And, like, it, it's it's nice to look at the first time. But then it's super distracting. Like, you really can't... as If you keep that in the background as a speaker, it's really going to make people just look at the look at the video instead. So I think you should maybe have it on, like, looped three times or something, but then I think you should actually pause it. Because it's actually really taking away from like taking the focus away from the presenter. 
you are not wrong. I can speak to this at a very personal level. So I think you were both there at the <laughs> the Playgrounds conference early last year, early 2017. I did a lightning talk at the end of the conference and it was a bit of fun. Uh, and I part of its appeal was that every slide had a GIF or almost every slide had a GIF. And it, it was quite funny, but I did set one of them to repeat and that was a terrible <laughs> mistake. It was actually um, the GIF... Uh, was I was talking about the aha moment, uh, uh, talking about a bit about creativity and things like that. And I used a gif of George from Seinfeld when he's sitting on a park bench and he has an aha moment and he runs away and he's, you know, all the all the birds, or yeah, all the birds that are yeah, on the wharf, yeah, they're, all, <laughs> they're all flying yeah, away. It's, it's a really good, really good gif. Great gif, but it's, it's yeah. quite a long one. And I set it to repeat. And the idea was to have these gifs playing in the background while I was talking because part of the thing was, you know, you've only got five minutes and these gifts are meant to be funny little things to accompany what I'm talking about. But because it was so long, people couldn't really, you, you sort of had to focus on it for 10 seconds or whatever to properly understand what was going on. And I was trying to talk and everyone was laughing and I realized this, this is not working. And then it started to repeat <laughs> and I still didn't have everyone's attention. Like, this is a terrible idea. So yeah, I definitely learned that one the hard way. And you're, you're absolutely right that uh, distracting gifts are a big no-no. Um, so for a lot of the the video examples I've got in this one, they're less distracting and they're shorter and I allocate time for, for viewing them, which is a different approach. Yeah, that's, that's just how our monkey brains work. There's something that moves and we have to look at it. Exactly. A decent way is um, if you want to loop something just once or twice, I don't think Keynote has a feature to, to set something to loop uh, a specific amount of times. Just duplicate the slide. So you're more in control yep. uh, because that means you can still click forward and backward through through the loops if you want to actually show it multiple times um, rather than relying on a, or rather than setting something to repeating and then having to, to have it going all the time. Or even have something that is on repeat and then you have a duplicate of that slide where you just have a static frame of, of the same uh, video. So you can kind of just click next to, to make it stop. Or you can do a pre-recording of the GIF going through like three times. Yeah, you can do that too. But if you if you don't really know, then you're kind of more confined of knowing how long it should take. If you just have it as a repeat and then a, in a stopped state, you're still having the ability to kind of, if it's something that's kind of like uh, where you expect some kind of reaction from the audience, it's quite nice to not having to anticipate how long the reaction might be, or maybe you come up with something funny to say about it in the moment. So it's kind of nice to know, all right, I'm, I'm still in control. I can just, when I hit next, it stops and, and people will kind of focus on me again. But you still have to, to kind of benefit of having something that's, that's going until you want it to stop. Yeah, definitely good advice. I agree. So I think it's interesting that the slides I do have the most text on relate to sh running shortcuts uh, via voice on the Apple Watch because we're at beta 6 and I think I've complained about this every week for the last couple. Uh, we're at beta 6 and you still can't run a shortcut and get the uh, voice or audio sorry, or like written word feedback uh, from that shortcut on the Apple Watch. And it's it's killing my life. I mean, <laughs> we're at beta 6 now and I kind of hope that we'd be at a point where I could run those shortcuts from the watch. They run successfully. So if you have a, a shortcut that you've added to Siri um, that achieves an action on the phone and you run it through the watch, it will actually execute that and return, you know, it might sometimes say, yes, I've, I've done this successfully, uh, but it will not give any kind of 
uh, custom response back to the watch like it does on the phone, uh, even if it's just a plain text, hey, your order has been placed or the football score is 22 to 8. Um, you're just stuck with a blank screen saying, oh, here's what I found and, and it doesn't show anything. Have you seen if that's the case for everyone? Yeah, I don't think anyone's been able to get it working on the watch. Uh, it wasn't properly working on the phone, I think, until beta 4. Um, I got excited when beta 6 came out this week because I think that was only a week between beta 5 and beta 6. I thought, oh, great, it's been fixed. And I think, Kai, you sent me a screenshot saying that where Apple say that the um, unresponsive watch app bug is fixed, and that has been fixed because shortcuts are yep. running now, but it's still not providing the appropriate response that you'd expect from the shortcut. So for those ones, I am describing them sort of in a more abstract way and here's how I think they work and here's how they should work, but I can't give any practical examples, which is a bit of a shame. Here's hoping Beta 7 is rushed out this week. It's weird. Why do you think they haven't done it? Do you think they just have struggle in getting this done or is it just not a high priority? I don't know. I imagine it would have to be something they sort out before the public launch this time next month. Uh, I guess it was promised. Uh, I couldn't find anything in the session about developing shortcuts for watchOS, uh, sort of describing how this type of shortcut should be working. So I'm not, I can't even give an example, like a, a visual example from Apple. Um, so it could be a low priority. It could be they haven't got around to it yet. I mean, you'd expect a month out that things are starting to take shape uh, by beta six. You'd think most features are in place, even if they're still a little bit buggy. Um, yeah, maybe there will be a delay on running shortcuts from Siri on the watch. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, that's one of the, the biggest appeals of running, being able to run shortcuts from the watch is not always having to have that phone nearby. I mean, I do all of my home kit Siri stuff yeah. from my watch. I think it's really convenient to have a device with Siri on it with you at all times. And I think it's, that applies to shortcuts as well. I'd really love to, for example, be able to ask Siri on my watch what the football score is. And it's probably, if it works, it's probably going to be a lot faster than opening an app on the Apple Watch. Um, so it is a bit of a shame that it's not ready. I'm not sure why I haven't heard anything, but yeah, it is what it is. And hopefully it's fixed before the public launch. Do you say that there is documentation about this, like from an implementation point? Not really. The shortcut documentation is pretty poor. So there's nothing specific to uh, here's how it should behave on the Apple Watch because in theory, it's the exact same as the iPhone. So it is working on Siri on the iPhone. Uh, you can get those, those custom responses back if you have a particular shortcut on the iPhone. Uh, and in theory, if you mark a shortcut as being accessible on watchOS, the behavior should be identical with the exception of uh, so you've got intense and you've got intense UI extensions. The intense extensions run actions and give a custom response back, like a, a text only or voice only response, whereas the intense UI extension displays accompanying UI. The only limitation should, in theory, be that you can't show the UI extension on the Apple Watch, but the intense extension should still run. And it is, it's, it's completing the action that you're giving it. Uh, and it should, in theory, also give the associated voice response uh, or text response on the Apple Watch, uh, but it's not doing either of those at the moment. The documentation around shortcuts isn't the greatest. Um, yeah, it, it makes it a little bit challenging to do some development work. It's interesting that the documentation has probably been less helpful than the slides uh, that they used in the three uh, WWDC presentations that they did on shortcuts. The The code and the examples from those slides probably 70 or 80% of the information I needed for the talk 
uh, versus, you know, only 20 or so from the documentation. Uh, so it, it is a bit of a shame, uh, but it is what it is. Hopefully that, that all improves. Yeah, it's, it's really frustrating. Yep. But you did also mention earlier that you had some problems with the definition of shortcut. What did you say? What are you actually going to end up doing now in your talk? Are you just going to... I think I was joking a few weeks ago outside of the podcast that maybe you should just hand out like a um, a document to people just saying what it is or telling people to read something. But that's obviously not what you should do. Like, are you going to do something like put a... Have a description in the beginning or... Did you decide anything? Yeah, so it sort of ties into how I was structuring the talk as well. I mentioned that I had two potential ways of structuring the talk and I wasn't really sure which one was best. And the approach I took at the beginning was sort of to have an introduction section to SeriKit, you know, fairly standard few minutes, to have a middle section Mm -hmm. where I essentially do just that and provide almost definitions, sort of explain what I mean by different phrases um, and how I'm going to differentiate between things in the talk and then move on to a third section where all the examples happen. But I found that that was really just recapping everything I said in the the second section as well. So there was no real point for a a second section with any kind of technical explanation at all. So sort of changed that up and I, I just do the best job I can of explaining here's the type of shortcut that I'm talking about. Here's how we implement it. And then, oh, hey, at the end, there is also this app called Shortcuts that you can use. But I'm sort of, so instead of jumping back and forth between, oh, I'm talking about shortcut as in the intent uh, that you're donating or shortcut Mm -hmm. the NS user activity or shortcuts the app, I've just broken it down into essentially mini sections where I say what I mean by shortcut at the beginning. And then the definition of Mm -hmm. shortcuts or shortcut doesn't change until I say so. And it's it's not super okay. structured in that, oh, here's what I mean by shortcut for the next five minutes, but it's more just yeah. um, this is the type of shortcut that I'm talking about. This is, you know, here you've got an intent with UI or intent without UI, and here's how we, here's what it is, here's how we go about implementing it, and here's an example. Hmm. From what I've found in just going over the talk a few times in the last few days, that seems to work best. It has some kind of flow to it. And I, I don't think it's too difficult to follow. But hey, I mean, the feedback after Thursday night might be, that was really all over the place. Uh, you should definitely change something before. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, hopefully that's not the case. But if it is, at least it's yeah. a learning experience. Cool. No, I think that sounds like a good approach. And I think just explaining it. It's it's better than doing everything in the beginning because people are going to forget your initial definition exactly. by the time yeah. you get to talk about yep. it. So I think that sounds like a good approach. Yeah. And the other thing that sort of done is referring to intense and intense UI separately and trying to avoid tying that in with the word shortcut because even though even though an intent, like you create a shortcut with an intent and you donate the shortcut, it's just, it's a whole other can of worms about what everything means. And it's just easier to break it out into separate mini sections and go from there. Yeah, I think um, if anyone who's listening haven't booked their, haven't bought their tickets to DevWorld yet, I think Coco Heads is already, it's announced and it seemed to be full. It is full. I think that's the fastest it's filled up in quite a long time. Yeah. I was excited to see that. It's all because you're speaking to Zach. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> But if you're not going to go to Coco Heads, I would. Uh, even if you go to Coco Heads, you should definitely go to DevWorld. Um, I think it's a great conferences conference in 
conferences. I think it's a great conference in uh, Australia. Uh, I think it's the, the longest running conference uh, about uh, iOS and macOS. Yep. Um, so you should definitely go ahead and get your tickets. I think they're still available for sale for the next two weeks, probably one week by now. Yeah, I think this is the last week. You days. Can, uh, yeah, I, we might be yeah. down to about five or six days. It might be Friday or something like that. Um, so if you're listening to this, it's probably only a day or two after this podcast has been released. Yeah. But yeah, if you're a Mac or iOS dev in Australia, you should definitely check out DevWorld. It's in Melbourne, so it's a pretty great city. Um, and yeah, as Marlon said, it's yeah, a good Yeah, I heard I heard I had a pretty nice beach there. What's it called? Bondi? I think it's pronounced Melbourne. <laughs> Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to check. Uh, no, but really, you should... Um, if you if you want to go to a great conference, you should definitely definitely head there. I think uh, it's a perfect... It's a, it's a great way. It's a great community and a really nice conference and um, tend to be some really good talks and also some pretty cool workshops uh, on the first day. And the food is really good. Um, so yeah, you should go. I think every time we went, we actually left tearing up because it was such a good time we had there and met so many people and it's super supportive. So it's 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 also great for you to, to give your talk there because it's such a supportive, friendly, welcoming community there that I really enjoyed going to. Yeah, I had no idea what to expect as an attendee last year, and I loved every minute of it. And there are great talks like Marlon's uh, and plenty more others, uh, two days of, of talks and a day of workshops. So it's definitely worth checking out. Um, and yeah, as as you covered, uh, great community as well. Did you go to the, um, uh, the dinner last year? I did. Yeah, it was good fun. Yeah, so they have they have a really good quiz as well. So. Do you mean the one we won? Yeah, the <laughs> quiz that we won. Um Oh, unfortunately, I'm not there this year. I really want to. <laughs> guess I guess I give the opportunity to someone else. Uh, oh, Zach, if you can pick a table, uh, find James White and <laughs> join his table. I think he has a good chance this year again. Cool. Yeah, he's he's pretty good for it. Um, I think he's been winning like every, pretty much the last five years or something. No, 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 no. To you, without us, <laughs> <laughs> no, the year the year before he didn't win. Okay, no, but really, look him up. <laughs> yeah, I, I know who you're down. talking about. I'll, uh, I'll have to find him on quiz yeah. night, and you know. I think is James giving a talk this year. I think so. Yeah, yeah. he seems to give one yeah. every year. So. James, yeah, James's talks are also always really good because he sort of strikes this perfect balance between design talk and developer talk, and they're always quite funny as well. Uh, he's a really good speaker, so you should definitely attend this session. Yeah, his talk last year was hilarious. I think the. The title was developers are from Mars and designers are from Venus or maybe vice versa. But yeah, yeah. this is yeah. hilarious. And yeah. this year, I'm just pulling up the talk list now. Um, it's called Let's Settle This UI UX Thing Once and For All. So that's pretty <laughs> awesome as well. Yeah. yeah, I think that sounds like a really great talk. Who um, Is this list public? Where yep. it says the list of talks is public, yep. yeah. 2018.devworld.com.au. The schedule is out now. Oh, cool. Do you know what day you're talking? Uh, Last, right? I know, but I don't know if it's public. Uh, I'm on the second day, which in the afternoon, which is kind of rough. Oh, no, actually, just before lunch on the second day. It's kind of rough. Okay. Yeah, the schedule the schedule is available. Yeah. Oh, it, oh, yeah, it is too. Yeah, that's public. Cool. Um, yeah, so on the website, it says Tuesday, 28th of August, 12.05 to 12.35. So hopefully hopefully get it over and done with so that everyone can rush off to lunch. Um you know, but <laughs> oh. 
don't S- setting the bar high. No, no one wants to be in my talk for <laughs> ten minutes more quickly. than they have to be when there's there's lunch waiting there. Um, but yeah. yeah, you should delay the lunch. <laughs> <laughs> or it's it's a good way if if your talk goes horribly wrong, you can just say call it early and let everyone go to lunch early. That's true. Cool. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about related to Dev World or Coconuts? No, I think that just about covers it. I'm pretty excited. I'm looking forward to both Thursday night and giving the talk at, at DevWorld as well. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun and looking forward to meeting lots of new people at the conference and at Cokeheads as well. So. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing the recording. <laughs> Thanks. I'll, I'll... I'm quite sad that we can't go this year. Yeah, me too. Next year. <laughs> yeah, we should probably come over next year. Yeah, you should. I agree. So the Twitter API is changing. So I think the biggest, this will only affect people using a third-party Twitter app. I know we're all users of Tweetbot. This will affect users of Twitterific as well. Uh, I think Flamingo is a popular one on Android. So in my world, in our world, it it will affect 100% of people, right? That's true. Yeah, I think a lot of of nerds are using a third-party Twitter client. We use it for a variety of reasons. Ultimately, well, I think the experience is much better in these third-party clients. You don't have a lot of the uh, non-chronological timelines and the ads in the feed and, you know, random oh, things ads. like moments. Um, I don't – yeah, I mean, that, that's a lot of the things you get from the main Twitter client and the main website. But if you use a third-party client, you don't get those things. But uh, it would seem – I mean, Twitter have been pretty hostile towards third-party developers for a little bit of time now, uh, and these recent changes – it's almost like they're, they're shutting the door to an extent on certain features. So the biggest one is the timelines won't refresh automatically. So they're, they're uh, deprecating the streaming API, actually removing the streaming API altogether. So if you're using a third-party client, you won't get tweets in real time. Uh, you'll have to manually refresh your feed. Generally, it's pull to refresh. And that just means you know, you're, you're following tweets slower. If you're following Twitter during a, a live sporting game or a Apple event, for example, as I know we probably all do, uh, it can be quite nice to see tweets and information in real time. Um, but now instead that, that API uh, is going away. And also push notifications are, I don't think they're going away entirely, but from what we know, they're definitely uh, going to slow down. So um, Tapbots, the developers behind Tweetbots, say that there will be no notifications for likes or retweets anymore, most likely, uh, while tweets, mentions, DMs, follows, um, and everything else will be delayed by generally about one to two minutes. Sorry, notifications for those things will be delayed by about one to two minutes, which really doesn't sound too bad to me. I mean, that's not that's not horrible. I think DM notifications are the most important. Anything else probably isn't super necessary. Um, but it is also interesting that the Icon Factory, who are the team behind uh, Twitterific, um, have removed notifications entirely from the app for new users as of a few weeks ago. Uh, paying users, they say, will we'll be able to continue receiving these notifications at least until the API goes away. Um, but yeah, they're, they're sort of under the impression that either notifications are going away entirely or that uh, notifications will no longer be feasible to deliver. So I'm not sure. I mean, maybe even uh, the team behind Tweetbot are rolling their own system for delivering those notifications on a one to two minute basis i'm not sure exactly what's going on there but yeah twitter are a bit a bit light on details about exactly what these changes mean um and it is worth noting the api isn't going away entirely 
but the new API that they're replacing it with is just so expensive that it's not practical for any of these third-party apps, which are only charging usually like between three and ten dollars at most for their app uh, to provide that to their customers um, like on an ongoing basis. So I think the example we've got here is uh, from a Verge article in May. It says that Twitter's pricing comes out to $11.60 per user per month, and that's only if an app doesn't go above 250 users. So that's not sustainable for a, a third-party uh, development company to continue to uh, run a Twitter client with streaming and push notifications and all the bells and whistles that they've had uh, from the API up until now. Uh, I was listening to an episode of Connected, uh, which is another tech podcast earlier this week. And I think Mike put it nicely when he said that we're not really sure if Tapbots, uh, the team behind Tweetbot, are underreacting by saying that, hey, yeah, there still will be a bunch of notifications and things. They're just a bit delayed. Or if Twitterific, the team behind, uh, yes, yeah, so Twitterific um, by uh, the Icon Factory are overreacting and saying, oh, there'll be no notifications at all. So it's a little bit up in the air and a little bit confusing as to what exactly is happening. Uh, I guess we'll get more details on the 16th of August when this change happens. Um, and I did also want to point out, and I, I really don't agree with this, but Twitter have been flickering the API as a warning. So an example of this is like just... This is really it's, weird. It's super weird. They've been turning streaming off and on just seemingly randomly to get people They're ready not letting any users know changes. about this, right? No, that's the thing. And, and this information has come from either people who work at Twitter or people who work closely with Twitter. Uh, it's, all, it's all public information or not. Uh, sharing anything i shouldn't be here but yeah twitter are, are flickering the api i guess as a warning i mean if i didn't know this change was coming and i saw that streaming was broken in tweetbot i wouldn't think oh well they must be breaking something in a few days like that's not what i'd expect i would think that their system is broken or that uh i don't know maybe something's even wrong in, in tweetbot which is the client that i'm using so I don't see how they're achieving their purpose there by flickering the API. I think it's quite user hostile, actually, to say, well, we're shutting it down on the 16th yeah. of August, but hey, from you know early August, your your experience is going to be subpar. I know there are definitely a few times this week where my timeline streaming stopped for about 10 minutes at a time. Um, fortunately, I knew what was happening, but yeah, I think it would be weird otherwise. Yeah, and I feel like this is just going to... I think um, the third-party Twitter clients are already having a lot of work to do because of this, and they are they have to make a lot of hard decisions right now. And I think the fact that Twitter is keeping on flicking those APIs on and off makes it seem like the third-party apps are flaky. So it might even cause more work for the third-party apps because they're going to get those uh, support questions just asking, like, hey, is your app broken? Um, well, as if, if they would... If they would just turn everything on off, everything off on one date, um, the third-party developers could actually just issue uh, uh, information to all the users and explain that this is not going to work from now on. Uh, and I think the fact that they're flickering it on and off is just going to really cause a headache for 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 more people. Uh, so I think this is not really uh, it's not really a mature way of dealing with it. It feels a bit half thought through. That like childish almost it's like oh yeah we can do what we want we're just gonna flicker it off i i guess it's more of a like it forces everyone to see all right how do do how does my app behave if the streaming api is going away and kind of raises awareness for the developers but it's a it's a rather strange way because no one's going to look at that and say hey i, I think uh twitter is is uh 
flickering the API to see what happens. Uh, if if you use Tweetbot and and the API doesn't work, you think, oh, Tweetbot is broken, and uh, it it would be premature for 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 Twitter clients to release an update now that deals with that before, um, especially with the hard date of the sixteenth. Yeah, that's definitely right. Yeah, and I also thought um, there was some interesting workarounds. So everything, I think most things that we've been talking about are available on, it's called Birds of a Feather. No, sorry. <laughs> it's not called Birds of a Feather. What? That's the wordplay. I, I googled the same thing this morning. <laughs> so, it makes so much sense though because it's Twitter, mm. but uh, it's, it's a very clever wordplay. Um, but it's basically available. The, the website is called uh, appsofafeather.com. Um, so this is basically, um, I think it started out with a way for those third-party clients to sort of go together as a group and try to uh, convince enough people in the community to basically make Twitter change their mind about those API, API changes. Uh, and that's how this was formed. And I think uh, they do outline everything quite well on um, on how those changes are going to influence the different apps and what Twitter is doing. And I think it has some useful links to Twitter's own blog posts about it. Uh, so if you want to know more about this, I think uh, it's great to read about it. Uh, but there was one thing that I found was interesting um, that they specifically mentioned on, mentioned on the page. I think it's um, App Factory said that... Um, they are aware of that it's very little they can do about notifications. And I think they, they definitely definitely acknowledge that they're not going to be able to send the push notifications. And their workarounds suggested says, um, simply, this is a bit of a paraphrase, um, they basically say, uh, simply activate all of the notification types um, that you want to receive in the official Twitter client um, in order to receive um, all of the all of the notifications, and then use the Twitterific to browse all of the timelines and the tweets, um, and respond to direct messages. Um, and it's sort of unfortunate because this is definitely just a workaround. And I think it's sad that third-party developers have to sort of give this workaround to their users. Uh, so basically, what this means is that. Um, you can have both of the apps installed on your phone, so you keep on getting all of the notifications through the native Twitter client, but if you see that you get a message, you can just open Twitterific or Tweetbot, whatever uh, third-party app you're using, and then just uh, look at the notification. And I think it is a workaround, and sure, that's you can use that approach just to get like, keep up with what's happening on Twitter, but in the same time, this is going to cause a lot of other problems. Because if you get notifications from the native Twitter app and then go to the other app, that's not going to clear your notifications. So you're going to keep on having all of those um, notifications on your home screen uh, or on your alert screen from uh, the native Twitter app that you're not really going to get removed because you're not going to go directly into the app. So you have to manually go back and remove them once you have looked in whichever app you prefer. And it's sad that this is uh, this is the approach people should take, but... I don't really, I guess this is what I'm going to do um, in order to keep on receiving notifications. Um, how do you guys feel? Are you going to, are you just going to turn off notifications and then maybe see this, no, this as an opportunity of being less addicted to Twitter? Um, or um, are you going to keep this work around? I, I first, I, I first have a different issue. I, in general, I feel like Twitter being so hostile towards third-party developers is super strange, especially considering how much um, 
Twitter gained over the years from third-party developers. Almost all of what Twitter is today is coming from from third-party developers adopting the platform early and using the API to make Twitter a better service for every single user. Um, uh, third-party developers um, and users added uh, ad replies. There were no ad replies. Uh, I think even the word tweet was something that came from the bird yeah the twitter logo was a t yeah. and uh, it's like even that came from third-party developers hashtags came from um third-party developers so many things that twitter made it what it is today came from third-party developers um so i find it uh in that in that scenario especially i find it even more um of a of a bad move to now be i mean it's not just now it's been over the last few years that twitter has been more and more at best ignoring third-party developers and at worst actively being hostile and and making life of third-party developers harder i mean we've already had that before where where it was hard for new third-party developers uh to enter twitter because they had this entire um uh I think it wasn't an account of how many people could authenticate against your yeah, your token. Yeah, token limit. Was it like nine hundred nine hundred ninety nine token limit or something? I mean, it was kind of I think three times what existing developers had, or twice what existing developers had, and others had like a hard cap. But all of that has been going on for years and just gets worse. And now APIs are going down. And I mean, in general, I understand when companies haven't. I mean. That ads are not showing in in third party clients. Um, I understand that Twitter is probably not a big fan of that. I think it's a solvable problem of just making it a requirement for third party. If you consume the third party API and you're not paying anything, that you have to serve show show ads to users or or. <laughs> I mean, almost anything is better than what the current approach is. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of other approaches that would make that would not upset the third-party community, and it feels like uh, and, and a good chunk of their most active and most vocal and most passionate users too, because there are so many people that consume Twitter uh, mainly th through third-party apps, and that's to a big extent because uh, Twitter's own apps are not as good as third-party apps. Twitter's own apps has this weird non-chronological uh, ordering of tweets where where they try to figure out what's more important for you to see for, for advertisement reasons. Um, it's just, and I understand all of that, but my problem is if, if, you, if you harvest so much from, from third parties to get you to where you are and then behaving this way... Uh, now I just find is is particularly awful and and frustrating, and kind of just shows again this kind of uh, closed platform thing where where it felt more like a community thing where everyone that kind of adopted Twitter early on was contributing to what Twitter is and and had suggestions of and I mean a lot of cool things came out of that, and but it's still it's still a, a closed. Um, as a network system that where where a company is in control and that company now makes consistently what i consider bad decisions not just with the api but in general it seems like it's a company that consistent consistently now goes down routes i i find to be the worst possible they could take 
And I find that with the, with the history of where Twitter comes from, particularly frustrating. Yeah, it's super user hostile. Sorry, that didn't answer your question at all, what I will do about notifications. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't care about notifications as much. Um, it, it's fine for me for them to go off. It's more the, the way that all of this is handled that is frustrating me and, and kind of motivates me to, to look into alternatives. I don't know, we might have time to get into some of those uh, afterwards. So I, I spent more time looking into Twitter alternatives um, because I feel like I, I, I don't feel good contributing to a platform like that at the moment. So I spent more of my efforts in looking for, for ways out rather than workarounds. Yeah, I think before we go into ways, <laughs> get, finding ways out, uh, as Kai uh, describes it, we could, I just want to ask you, Zach, um, are you going to have, like, do you have an approach or are you just going to don't care about the push notifications or? Yeah, the push notifications aren't my biggest concern. I mean, it is quite nice to have push notifications on for DMs, but anything else I don't see as essential. Uh, I think it's more about the overall issue and reason behind why they're doing this as opposed to, oh, it's it's super problematic that notifications are going away. Uh, I'll definitely feel the loss of timeline streaming a lot more than notifications. I do quite like that feature, yeah. uh, particularly like I mentioned before, live sports and other, other things like that. Um, but yeah, I think Kai pretty much covered everything that I was going to say about this issue. Uh, I I understand Twitter or a business, they have to make money. And sure, I mean, I'm guessing a lot of the users consuming Twitter through third-party clients that use their their third-party API aren't making Twitter a lot of money. I mean, we don't see advertisements. uh, They don't get a lot of analytics about our usage of the app. So I think from a, a purely business point of view, well, hey, it makes sense. We're not making money off these users. But I think there's way more to it than just that. Um, as as Kaya said, a lot of the power users uh, and a lot of the, the people who quite like Twitter as a platform and who promote it vocally among friends and, and you know professional interests and things like that, they're super passionate about it. And I think you're losing a lot of, not necessarily losing, but you're, you're isolating a lot of those users who really do like the platform for what it is and what it has been um, for the last decade or so. Um, and I mean, there are other solutions as well. Like why not mandate the, or why not put ads in the third party, uh, timeline feed and mandate that they must be shown if your, if your app is found to be blocking or hiding this, this, uh, this content, then revoke the developer license. I think that's more than fair. They have data about us. I know it's not as much as you get if somebody's on your website or in your, your own mobile app, but they know what tweets we fave. They know what tweets we respond to. They know who we follow. I mean, that's pretty powerful information. They could even harvest us searches. I'm sure they, they are doing that to some extent, maybe not through the third-party API, um, but definitely in the main app. So they, they have enough to do targeted advertising if that's their biggest concern here. Um, and then that means they're making a, a nice amount of money off of uh, each user consuming the third-party feed. And I think that would be a, a compromise I'm willing to accept here. Um, but it really feels as though with these these new APIs and with the new pricing structure, it feels like they don't want uh, just regular users of Twitter like us to be uh, looking at tweets through any other uh, way that isn't official. And I think that's, it's unfortunate, uh, but that is the message I'm getting from Twitter here. And I'm quite disappointed about that. Yeah. And I mean, it's also Twitter is Twitter's core business. (laughs) Uh, It's, they're also 
ways of working with the community and working with third-party developers on figuring out a way of, of maintaining that. I'm, I'm sure there is a way of doing that. And there's also a way of doing that more publicly. Twitter is all about being more public about what you're doing, what, what your thoughts are about events, what you're, how you're approaching things, sharing knowledge and, and jokes and interesting things you're seeing in the world. So share more about Twitter and the reason behind it and be more open to getting feedback about other, other ways of, of getting somewhere. I think a lot of people, if Twitter would be more uh, presenting their challenges and being more open to that, um, I think people wanted for a long time that Twitter would exist. And I think most people want Twitter to be uh, make money, be successful and work as a platform that works for all of us or most of us. And I think I, I don't I just don't understand the decision making that goes in there to because I mean I don't think most of us want to find a Twitter alternative or want to look into alternatives of where else where else to go to to talk to friends, to share information. I think people are forced into looking into that. And I'm sure there would have been a way of of figuring out how to how to keep people and how to make everyone be happy in that. I, I think most businesses uh, thrive when both the users and the business are happy about the solutions they're finding. And I feel like Twitter is not really considering their users in, in their, in their decision-making at the moment. And that's, that's just super frustrating to me. Yeah. And I think um, Kai and I have been, already been talking about this um, a lot throughout the day today, uh, but I think um, you already touched on it in the podcast as well, Kai. I think there are other solutions for this, and I think uh, you have actually been starting to look at potential Twitter replacements, and I think there have been a lot of Twitter replacements coming up in the past. I think already, probably like at least a couple of years ago, there were already a new, more than two years ago, like there was like app.net where people, which was other social networks that tried to pick up and get everyone to move over to but i think i'm hope i think we're in a better situation to get people to move to a different platform now because issues on twitter that people have been complaining about and i think the community is quite fed up with um, the way that twitter is handling third-party developers and uh, the um just just a few a lot a lot of different things are starting to upset people and i think we might be in a better situation where people feel more inclined to actually go through the effort and move through, move to a different app um, or a different platform. And I think that's something that's quite interesting to discuss as well. Mm. But I also think it's just Twitter is what it is for us because of people that we know or people that we know of that, that write their content on that platform. But it's the content that we're after and kind of this, this way of having this global, global chat where anyone can talk to anyone and, and, like have this kind of way of communicating around people's observation and knowledge and those kind of things. I feel like Twitter is now becoming a platform that I feel like doesn't deserve all those people's content to be given because that's that's what makes it, right? Your tweets that are valuable to people is what makes Twitter a, a good platform. And I feel like the more Twitter is seemingly not willing to to um, remove some of the more toxic behavior on Twitter and being so toxic against a community that made it what it is, I feel like they don't really deserve 
the user base they're having at the moment. And that's yeah, why because, I think... I mean, the, the idea of Twitter was very was quite unique when it started out. But as you said, okay, a lot of those things have been formed from the community itself. And I think there are also... it's it, Today, it's not a unique concept and it's nothing that's necessarily hard to set up as a concept. I think the only thing we're struggling with is to actually get the whole community to move over to a different place. It's the same when... A lot of people in the tech community are encouraging people from stopping to use Facebook. Uh, but I think that's really hard because um, a lot of people rely on Facebook and a lot of people, like that's their core way of uh, communicating with family members or seeing their family members' photos. And I think um, even if people give up Twitter, uh, sorry, give up Facebook, they might still be relying on Messenger or uh, they might be relying on Instagram because they want somewhere where they can keep in touch with uh, like very, very close uh, people in their life. Um, so I think it's always a problem when there is like a giant uh, company having so many people on the platform. It's very hard to get people to move over to a different place. But I mean, in, in a perfect world, right, we would, if we all like, disagree with what Twitter is doing, we would just move everyone to a platform where where they have a code of conduct we agree with and a business model or or concept that we think fits the type of thing we're doing at the moment and i feel like we should we should not just consider it a perfect world example that we can never reach let's actually all do that and then that's the thing we can get to yeah i mean this is not like <laughs> moving like it's it's not like it's <sighs> It should be possible. Uh, I think uh, if, if the problem at the moment is that, uh, which Kai and I spoke about earlier, is that it, everyone, I think a lot of people in the tech community wants to move off Twitter, but it's hard to find, and there are great replacements, but it's hard to figure out who sort of wins that replacement. Like, I don't really know. We've been talking, Kai and I have been talking throughout the day about um, like where people should go instead. And I think there are some really good communities out there that we, uh, that maybe Kai can describe a bit better. Um, but the problem is that at the moment there are a few different communities and I think people are struggling deciding where to move their business. So people just stay around because if you go to like when app.net came out, it was hard to keep on only using app.net because there were still so many people who didn't move over um, and there were so many alternatives but app.net was also i think you needed to pay to get onto the platform yeah yeah we can maybe talk about what they are like what kind of the two main alternatives are that i think are good and then maybe the three of us can start using those yeah. and then actually have a discussion about it in more detail uh, that's exactly the problem isn't it you're considering two alternatives now I mean, if the yeah, <laughs> it's like there's no easy way to get off Twitter. Yeah, this is what I'm getting to as well, and I think the two platforms that we've been finding are really great, and it's really hard to decide which one to go with. Um, but I feel like, and it almost makes it harder to move a whole community when there are so many different alternatives, um, and that's sad. And I'm hoping that that's not gonna limit, the, gonna gonna make the community not move away from Twitter, um, just because people can't decide where where to go. Um, I really hope that um, there are there is gonna be one of uh, one other uh, like social network that people can move to. But um, it's just, I think it's good to talk about uh, what the different alternatives are. Yeah, I, I just don't want us all. You know, if you if you can't decide whether you go to restaurant A or B, 
ending up starving is the worst of those options. So this is like this is actually a really good real life scenario. Kai and I we often we always order food online, um, and we have those few favorite restaurants that we really like to order from, um, and we tend to always order from the same place. But sometimes we're like, let's try something else, and Kai's like. I'm really up for this type of food. And I'm like, I'm really up for this type of food. So we spend like sometimes an hour just trying to decide which other restaurant to try. And then we're like, ah, this is too difficult. We can't decide which one. We know we both like the food from this one. So let's just go with this one. And I think that's a perfect analogy. And it's something that we see quite often. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be the hard part about it. He's getting everyone off Twitter and onto something that is a shared platform for everyone again. Yeah, so I kind of had a look. There, to me, there are two two that I I considered, uh, which is micro.blog and uh, Mastodon. I think, um, I mean, I, I I was part of the Kickstarter campaign for uh, micro.blog, but I think over the last few days, I've seen a lot of people uh, trying Mastodon. Is that how you pronounce that? Yeah, I, th- I think it's Mastodon. I'm not sure. I've never actually heard anyone say it out loud before. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. No, it's Mastodon. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of I had a look at both. I think, um, I think they're both worth considering, which makes it, obviously makes it more difficult to, to pick. Um, so if you want to have a look, I would... Um, and w- if you look for a Twitter alternative for a micro.blog, there is a third-party client that is pretty nice. It's called uh, Icro, I-C-R-O, um, which is kind of like a Twitter-like client for microblog. So it uses all of microblog's uh, infrastructure, but it is behaving very similarly to to probably Tweetbot. So it has kind of the swipe gesture to see um, a thread. It kind of has the indicator of how many... Um, uh, posts you still have on your timeline it kind of stays at a specific spot in your timeline uh if you close the app and come back and you kind of go through through your chronological timeline on mastodon i um uh, uh, yeah and microblog microblog is kind of focusing on you having your own domains so uh instead of going by usernames kind of like it is in in um in twitter it's more around you owning your domain you owning your name um on on the internet um mastodon um has a different structure it's completely decentralized so you have a whole bunch of uh they're calling it instances um which is basically uh, servers um that all uh so you can you can sign up for for any of those servers with your name uh, your name is only unique on each server, so you have a fully qualified name, which might be, in your case, Zach, Zach at um, mastodon.social, and then there can be another Zach at mastodon.cloud. Um, and, uh, but all those servers can talk to each other, simplified. So if, if Zach at uh, mastodon.cloud wants to talk to Zach at mastodon.social, you just use the full name and you can add reply to each other and they're calling it tooting instead of tweeting because Mastodon obviously being kind of from mammoth and elephant elephant like creatures so they're they're using toots uh, which by the way makes me super excited about a potential toot bot because I think the name would be amazing 
But the benefit of that is you kind of have, uh, it's very decentralized, uh, different servers, everything is open source. Uh, you can at any point in time, all the, all the instances that, um, that there are need to have an export and an import function. So if at any point in time, the instance is either going down or you, for some reason, don't agree with their, um, uh, code of conduct, code of conduct, because every single instance can have their own code of conduct, uh, and you can just pick the one that you think uh, aligns with what what yours is the most. Um, and you, for some reason, are changing it, or you don't agree with it, or for whatever reason you want to leave, you can just export everything you have and move it somewhere else. Um, and it's kind of built with that in mind to be kind of more flexible, decentralized, not controlled by one person or one one company. Um, and I think it, it seems to be built around, let's look at Twitter, let's look at all the mistakes they've made. Uh, how can we learn from that and not get ourselves into a, a situation like that again? I do think instances is a bit of a diff uh, not an ideal name because instances is very very technical not very friendly and probably hard to understand what it is i think communities might have been a better name because it's basically the server that you're on and therefore it's kind of uh, they have kind of this idea of a local timeline which is you can see all the tweets that are kind of happening on the same instance so it's kind of a quick way of seeing hey who else is here so if you're on a uh, on an instance that's very topical let's say you're in on a specific I don't know, you could be in uh, mastodonaustralia.tech uh, instance, which is then potentially very focused on the Australian tech scene. So you kind of have this local timeline with everyone else that's on your instance, but you can still talk to everyone else. Um, but I think it for me, that's more of a group or community. Um, but it is... Um, it is, f f as a concept, I think it is, it is uh, very nice to be kind of decentralized we can touch on it more next week there's isn't for the show but just would it be so bad to not check a social network every day like as yes. in not get like get off twitter but not get on anything else i don't know but then we're gonna get existential crisis yeah. and not know what to do with our lives all right um let's continue with uh adding items to our list I'm especially excited about Zach's edition. Yeah, do you want to tell us more about the app that you choose, Zach? Sure. Let me pull up the name here. Um, I don't remember the name. This is not an app I use frequently, apparently. Okay. Do you want us to start? No, I'm curious what the shrug emoji means. I think it's literally just Zach that doesn't know So yet. the shrug emoji was, honestly, <laughs> oh, I, I hadn't decided at this point. I have decided now, but at the time I wrote that, I had Because decided. I read the I read our show notes document earlier, mm -hmm. and you said, you, I think it said, super secret app that Zach will reveal during yep. the show. And I was super excited. And now it's a shrug yep. emoji, and I feel like I was, I'm disappointed. That's right. So, I mean, hopefully everyone listening is familiar with the, the concept of insurance. And I'm going to, I'm going to liken my pick this week, uh, to insurance. So the the app uh, that I've picked is called Weather Update Free. I'm going to share this this with you for you to check it out. Um, you look scared. 
Yeah. I I had a anything that has free in the name is sketchy. <laughs> I was editing the show last week and and doing my usual listen through, and I picked up on something that Kai said um, that I, I kind of wanted. I, I guess the challenge. So Kai and I, I quote here. Yeah, I think I think you picked the wrong co-host for for trying to put a a, <laughs> a weather app uh, in the bottom of any list. <laughs> so I I spent some time uh-huh. trying to find the worst weather app that I could, <laughs> and I figured this goes in either one of two ways. Uh, okay. So, so either you agree with me. And the weather app goes at the bottom of the list. And the nice thing about this is it's a bit of insurance. So last week I said that, you know, I kind of Shoot. felt like mm, maybe Kai is plotting to move Outcast down the list. And that's fine. But as long as it's not at the bottom, I can live with that. So the idea is I, I kind of want something at the bottom that's just there for eternity and or until we find something that's worse to sort of safeguard against any future picks going right at the bottom. Um, well played, but, well played. But the, the alternative to this is that Kai finds a way to dispute why this should be at the bottom and instead, you know, wants to put it higher in the list. And I figure that's also fine because the entertainment value will be huge. So. Challenge accepted. <laughs> I've sent you. I'm already loving the green color. I've sent you the app. It, it's actually, oh, when I no. went through a bunch of other apps, I went through a bunch of other weather apps, it actually looks like a dead knockoff of another one that I downloaded, but it turns out they're by different developers. So I'm a little bit confused because it, it looks almost identical. Um, so there's ads on every screen. Every time you change the screen, I get a full screen ad that takes a few seconds to, to exit out of. So, I mean, that's a, that's a negative point there. The font is horrendous. Um, it's like super it's so hard cursive to read writing, really difficult to, to, to read, but I, you know, I mean, I, I'm not a designer. I, who am I to judge poor design? That's fine. That, that, that I would let that slide at a normal app. The, the real killer for me <laughs> the real the real killer the app doesn't work so either it has to go at the bottom of the list or kai i'm really curious to hear you defend this you can't get a weather forecast uh the alert i'm constantly getting is weather channel weather failed please try again <laughs> interestingly enough it doesn't even have iphone 10 support <laughs> <laughs> that is your concern with this <laughs> Do I need to allow? Oh, do I need to allow my access to a location for this to work? So I did, and the location is accurate. So whatever location lookup service they're using, still working. But clearly, the weather API no longer works. Press the button. You got one new app. What? I, oh, Isn't I this also, the app? I also have. What do you mean? You, you got, have one new app. I don't get it. Uh, but I, they are completely different UIs. Um, How did you find it? What so this is what I get. That looks like an ad. So there's ads on every page. So you're going to have to find a way to that exit it. That is terrible. So I, I have to it. say, no thanks. It looks like an ad again. I never used, I, I, I barely ever used apps that have ads yeah. in it, especially not that like in your face. I realize like, the same thing. They have thing. them in the bottom for like ways, which is fine. Yeah. Like five years ago, I would have probably every second app I downloaded was free and or light version or whatever, and I would have been used to it. But when I was going through these weather apps, I realized I'm actually not seeing a lot of ads in apps I'm using these days, and it's actually quite nice. Uh, but this one was sort of a, in stark difference with uh, with lots of full screen 
pop-ups and banners and, you know, the whole nine yards. It also has really, right, really, really low resolution uh, image assets. It feels like dash dash C. Feels like dash dash app. Temp empty. Temp again empty. Yep. It's like they've templated temp, temp. all this stuff. There's yeah. like all those placeholder texts that don't mean anything. <laughs> uh, which is beautiful because they thought about error cases. <laughs> <laughs> if they don't get any data. <laughs> <laughs> this is U- UX properly thought through, my friend. Uh, um, I, I would give them some credit for that, right, <laughs> right guy? <laughs> this definitely deserves some points. I always feel bad about criticizing so um, other people's ad. There was probably a time constraint or other constraints that led to the decisions that were made. Um, but considering that our very high quality list of apps we're currently having in our app list, I do agree this is definitely currently very far in the bottom of, of where it is. And I'm sure that person is capable of making very nice and very usable apps if the constraints they were in while developing would, would have been different. Very politically correct, sir. But yeah, that... that app is way in the bottom and i will try to find even if this was their first app i really encourage them to continue working on it because (laughs) the thing is that just getting an that's just getting through the process of releasing an app on the app store can be tricky like you have to actually go through all of the hassle of signing up for a developer account i had a look that developer has about 78 different and they're all the spammy type of learning spammy type of things to try and get downloads so I, i kind of wasn't picking out you know, a, a 14 year old's first I know, app. I know. And I was, I was careful when I was going through, but this is definitely the type of developer who's just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. I mean, yeah. mood detector prank it does look and a bit... finger body temperature, <laughs> those kind of apps. It, yeah, it looks, especially when it has free in the name, it does look like it's like, if people search for a weather app that's free, they're going to download this one and all they see is spammy, um, like spammy, um, ads yep. and i mean like even me uh if, like i don't see ads that often and it said push the big red button i was like okay i almost yeah. did it like they obviously get some click through yep. from this just from people opening it one time so i do like it's a very different business ideal idea than i would do but they probably get some money from this um this is this is not a passion app yeah no <laughs> it's, it's it's pretty much a way to try to get some money out of mm-hmm. it by the look of it. Yeah, they know what they're doing. Um, they've published yeah. any apps. <laughs> exactly. So doesn't that mean that it's a weather app that deserves a high place? No, <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, I think you you have played as well, Zach. Cool. I My agree. regularly scheduled that picks is. will return next week. I just deleted the app. <laughs> it's hard to follow that. Uh, I mean, it's nice. Now we have a good no, buffer in now, the bottom. Yeah. I, I will... I will now try to and probably struggle to find something that com- can compete with what's its name? Oh, weather. weather, weather update free. Are you even allowed to have free in the name anymore? Probably I not it was anymore. A guideline change. Yeah, it's probably changed. I think you can't even have prices of things in screenshots anymore. Yeah, because they're all dynamic. So if you, even if you would. Ref- even if you would, but even if you would have something like I don't know, you have a podcast app. And it sync like syncs your play status, and you're like you, you would want to say create a free account 
you're not allowed to have that on the screenshot. Interesting. I didn't know that. Hmm. But yeah, good good pick. Um, I think that makes it easy. That is definitely in the bottom now. And if anyone has an app that they can think of that is worse, I would love to hear from you. Tweet at me, at Zach Simone on Twitter, or something on Mastodon if we ever get there. And um, yeah, I'll be curious to see if we can bottom that. I guess you can't top it, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> cool. What's your pick? I think we're just picking up the, the current list of apps. Uh, but I guess I can continue while Kai is doing that. Uh, so the one I picked was actually a game this time. And it does not, to my knowledge, have a Mac app. Uh, so I'm following the rules. Um, speaking of rules, the app is called Rules. <laughs> that wasn't even an intended segue. Good. Uh, but So what I picked was a game called Rules. Have you played it at all, Zach? I haven't, no. I'm going to look it up on the App Store now. It's actually a really fun game. So it's like a similar style to something like Threes. Um, so it's basically um, just to... Um, like shortly explain it. It's basically a uh, a game when you start out with one rule. Uh, I think the first rule is to um, like you, and then it explains what the rule is, and then it will display a tile uh, or like a sheet of tiles. So I think it's um, four rows of four by four tiles, um, and then you're supposed to like remove all those tiles by following the rules. So the first rule is uh, tap all tiles in descending order. Um, and all of those tiles have numbers on them, so you have to tap them in descending order. And then all of the tiles also have like animals or some like some different color on them. And then the next rule might be tap all the foxes, uh, and then you have to tap all the foxes. And it sort of it never tells you what the rule is; it just tell says follow rule number one. So you have to remember the rules, and then you have to uh, add a new rule on top of it in order for you to actually um, be able to complete the game so it always has new rules building up on it and i think this is a really cool game so the quicker you do it you get more points for the next round and the purpose of the game is to just get basically get uh, to more rules uh, so just get through as far as you can get and yeah it's a it's a really cool game and then obviously you have high scores and stuff like that i just think this is a really nice game to play uh, while I'm listening to a podcast because I like to like keep my hands occupied but it's also quite a challenging game um, because it really requires you to be like qu- uh, quite quick at remembering those things so it also play it also has this mem- uh, memory memorizing aspect to it and I think it's a lot of fun it's something I, I've been playing a lot recently and they actually have a pretty decent uh, watch app too mm. um, I think it was one of the m- first watch apps i actually thought were were useful and and enjoyable it is um a very simplified rule set on the watch uh, and the grid is smaller just because you have way less screen real estate but it still works and it's it's pretty it's pretty quick and fun to play Hmm. cool so what's your app kai uh so my my app uh, for this week is city mapper uh, I don't know if either of you have used City Mapper. I started using it this week. Have you, Zach? I'm just I'm looking at it on the yeah I have yeah okay it is the one I thought it was yep yeah so uh, City Mapper is basically a um, a 
I don't want to call it a public transport app. It's more of a general transportation app. Um, so it is uh, basically um, you kind of have a uh, everything view and on top. And you can kind of see all the different transportation methods that are around you. So um, you can kind of see car sharing services, you can see bicycle sharing stations, you can see bus stops, um, and you can select any of them and kind of get as much information as they expose through the API. So we have, uh, like uh, here we have shared uh, bicycles. So it's like a, a station, they have, uh, I think 12 bicycle slots. So you can just see that they currently have nine bikes available and seven empty spaces and they're kind of live updating it. Um, and it, it's really nice to kind of get an overview of what's available, but then you also have the uh, kind of uh, route, route direction services where you can just enter uh, a specific address where you want to go or location where you want to go to. And uh, then they show you all your different ways of of getting there and kind of show you how long it would take and if it's walking how many calories you would burn and those kind of things um and enrich that with all the all the information they're having so for example with a bus uh you can see that the next one is coming in in five minutes eight minutes uh and 12 minutes or something like that so you kind of know when the buses go and and how much in a hurry you have to be and what the penalty is for missing that and you kind of get a nice overview and and they also compare it to, to other methods. So they're saying, hey, you can also use uh, one of the bikes or, or call an Uber or a taxi and those kind of things. And you have a whole bunch of preferences uh, that kind of uh, decide to order those suggestion, suggestions come in. So you can say, I never want a bicycle. Uh, and then that just doesn't show up in, in, your, in your suggestions. Um, and the nice thing for public transport is that they also have a kind of um what do you call that step by step yeah like a light tracking yeah like step by step directions so if you're actually uh, saying you want to go with the bus you kind of get informations uh such as the bus is now approaching um the the bus stop uh when you get on the bus you kind of see a live tracking of where you are on the route so it kind of shows you uh in between which two stops you are so kind of use the gps on your phone um, and I think the location data of the bus where where available, um, and then uh, even if you, if you allow always location on the app and you put your phone away and you have an Apple Watch or or you have notifications on for the app, it will also tell you um, one stop before you have to get off. It tells you, hey, get ready to to uh, to leave the bus. You have to go off at Second Street. And then sends you another notification um, when it's the next stop that you have to get off on. Um, and I think that's a really nice way of um, kind of traveling when you're uh, when you're not exactly sure how to get somewhere or when you don't know when to get off, because you can still look around and kind of see see the area that you're you're traveling through without having to worry about missing the stop you're going that that you need need to uh, um, depart from the bus. Uh, and we've been using that quite a lot while while exploring Vancouver over the last few weeks, and and I really enjoy using that. And it's quite a bit more optimized for for uh, public transport usage, or at least the way I use public transport um, compared to uh, Apple Maps and and uh, Google Maps. 
Yeah, and I think um, I definitely really like um, the feature when you can just track where you are. And I think that's really good for tourists when you're on the bus to know where you should get off. Um, but I also think what I really like with this one is that it's not really bound to a specific city's public transport system. So you can go to any, like to, to a lot of different cities and um, you can still use the same app. So I think this worked in Sydney. I think it works in, in a lot of part of the US and Vancouver. So um, I think it's quite nice that you don't have to switch um, the app that you're using just because you're moving or uh, traveling to a different country. So I, I definitely like this app. Mm. One thing that I'm not a big fan of is actually the main screen uh, and I'm not sure if that's uh, because I haven't customized my like per my preferences enough but I do found that um, I found that it's very busy mm -hmm. um, it's like all those different sort of ways of like all those different options all those different like ways of transporting yourself and it is just a lot to take in the first time you look at the app um, so that's something I don't like. Um, I felt the same way when I when I started using it, but you get used to it quite quickly because yeah. you basically interact with either you you know the bus stop you want to go from and you're just wondering when the bus goes and you kind of leave it at that screen and you just see like a live ticker of the next four or five buses. Mm -hmm. So it just gives you an overview. So you're you're getting ready in the yeah. morning. You're like, oh, okay, I won't make the six six o'clock uh, the bus in six minutes. Yeah, but, but I only have to like wait two minutes for the next one. So it's it kind of it does feel a bit like one app fits all you sort of have to know which option to look for and what specific place to go to i was hoping there's more customizability with that do you know if that's that's a thing i mean there is a bit okay. um but i i also thought i i used city mapper on and off for quite a while but i've always kind of stopped using it because it was it felt busy but yeah. i feel like now i actually gave it a shot and used it for a few days and and i wouldn't want to miss it now okay i mean it does it does make sense because they want to appeal to like all different modes of transport so it makes sense to provide all that i just wish there could be more of like a customizability with that for example something like tripco they actually have you can put your preferences in and uh, re even remove some options so maybe that's something they have that you have more control over i'm gonna explore that a bit more um also um it feels like they have a few different UI elements that don't really add up. So when you start scrolling in the list, there are just all those other buttons popping in and it's a little bit confusing and it, it makes it, the experience a bit worse. But definitely really like the live tracking. And it doesn't use that much battery. So I assume it's not using your GPS. I'm assuming it's, at least in Vancouver, it might actually use the bus's GPS. I think it uses the GPS, but it... Um it is not very, um, it doesn't shoot through a lot of battery. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it kind of gives you nice, nice uh, stats. So if you actually use the go trips function, which is kind of like their, their tracking, you kind of get uh, information about the calories that you burn compared to using a car, how many trees you saved uh -huh. and how much money you saved and what the uh, trip constellation was so for me it's 74 percent is walking and then 24 percent is um kind of spent on on riding and then there are some some sections that are uh, waiting you're and, waiting zero percent yeah i'm not waiting yeah <laughs> good it's because public transport in vancouver goes so often that was one of my favorite features when i did use city mapper a few times was seeing the environmental impact of each trip uh, and sort of comparing 
you know, uh, your impact on the environment if you were to catch a bus somewhere versus driving there, for example, um, or even, you know, cycling there, would, yeah. you'd obviously have a lesser impact. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was kind of fun to see those stats. Mm. And what they also do is if you take a certain trip more, more frequently, let's say you go to, to work every day, uh, it will realize that that's a frequent trip and then save how long it took you to take that trip. And then you can kind of raise your own trip. So you can see what's your record for that specific trip and how, how you achieve that. I need to get on this app. This is definitely an app I also like a lot. So uh, I'm happy to put it relatively high in the list. What are you thinking, Kai? How does it sit compared to the weather update free that Zach just added? So I think, I think we agree. Weather update free, at least for, for this, this week, will probably be in the very bottom. Um, I, I doubt anyone has objections. No. Um, I do, however, think now in contrast, especially Weatherline should probably be bumped up a spot. Uh, that's a good idea, just because... It's like, if you compare it to the very lowest, it's not three spots above it, right? But I it's also, like... you can see how difficult the weather app must be. So I know. It, it, it really nails it. No, 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 no. Um, this is not happening. It's, <laughs> nope. it's definitely a technical challenge to make it right uh, and not throw ads in your face. So I think it should be a bit higher. Look, yeah, if that's, if so that's the case, we have to bump Outcast up by an equal number of spots because last <laughs> week we agreed Outcast over Weatherline. <laughs> Yeah, we did. But then I was listening to, to the podcast and I was like, this doesn't sit right. Like, I'm a big fan of Weatherline and in general weather apps, not free weather apps. Um, so I felt like I really wanted to bump it up a bit. So this was actually a discussion point that I wanted to bring up today. So like now when you introduce the weather update free, I just think it needs to be bumped up. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm okay with it being bumped up, but our cast, as I said, needs to be bumped up equally. So, I mean, if you want to take Tweetbot away from that top spot, Kai, go right ahead. Yeah, I don't think that's the options we're talking about there. Should we start with adding in city mapper and rules? All right. Sure. All right. So, I think city mapper could probably, just because it's something you can use, it's quite flexible and it's something we use quite often. I think it could almost be over Fantastical. I would agree with that. A new fifth place. Yeah. Are you happy with that, Zach? Yep, sure, that's fine. And then I think rules is a bit difficult to rate in comparison to other apps just because it is a game. Do you have any opinions, Kai? You played it a fair uh, bit. Yeah, I think it, to me, it probably sits between Fantastical and 1Password. Why not above Fantastical? Because I do think, I mean, I I used to play rules quite a lot, but mm -hmm. it definitely over time became something I played less. So I feel like at this point in time, it's something I think is is nice and well done, but not something that I'm using as much as I would use. Okay. The yeah. Calendar. Yeah. Let's do that. So then we have entered city mappers on place five and. Which took Fantastical down, and then Rules is on seven, and then One Password, and then Weather Update Free. This is so terrible because One Password is definitely just not just one step above Weather Update Free. I feel like we should put some empty spots in here just to show res just to like pay respect. Is that what you say? Throwing the whole scale um, just off. Just to here. just to justify, yeah, just to justify the other ones. 
But yeah, I guess we guess we'll put some other apps there uh, down the bottom soon. Mm. Uh, so, Zach, what about this weather line? I feel like. Well, look, I guess that's all this we have time unfair. for today. Uh, Zach hasn't eaten lunch yet, and it's currently <laughs> quarter past three, and the Swans play uh, in the AFL in about eight minutes. So it was great chatting with you. Um, I'm perfectly happy with the list to stay exactly how it is for this week.